Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Never ends. It's another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Muscovian Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Zachary Adamizenhammer. And it might be a free bye week for the Whitecaps, but that's not going to stop us having another jam-packed show. Because, I mean, it's it's the international break, Zach. So, so yeah. much international football for us that we can talk about. There's the Canadian... Oh, no. <laughs> hmm. Oh, my. Michael, you're so depressing. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't planned to start off by, by being so negative, but I'm on the, the US soccer media mailing list. Oh, that must be fun. It, it actually is. Because you can compare what they do at US soccer compared to what Canada soccer do. I'm not just talking about actually playing matches, but it's just all this stuff comes out, all this access that you've got, everything's detailed, this training session's there, you can do this, there's going to be media access, these are the players we're putting up, and you get all these schedules, they send stuff out. Like I, I got something today about the the Deaf World Cup that's coming up um, later in the year, and America's got a team going over to that. It's it's like chalk and cheese, the professionalism of U.S. soccer to Canada soccer, and well, but you just see it in that form as well. It just really stands out. It sounds almost like it's like a club email, right? That you get from a club. Yeah. Yeah, it basically yeah. is. It's it's just so detailed, and all this regular stuff comes out. They have the voting for the Hall of Fame. They tell you the long list, then the short list, and then the did final you, did list. You vote? And... Did you vote? I I'm not allowed to. Oh okay, because you're not American or not part of. I don't know. The, I don't think the union. I'm not, or... I'm not actually sure that media vote. I think it's fellow professionals or whatever. Oh, but okay. I mean, it, it is disappointing that it is a, an international window, and there isn't any Canadian men's games. Yeah, that's frustrating as you're preparing to host the Home World Cup. Yeah. Uh, it uh, it also, it, do you think uh, Vanny's happy for this break? Give his players a little rest? I think he's delighted for it because... Okay. They're on it, a good roll. Yeah, but it breaks it breaks up that seven-game stretch. That's it lets true. the players have time at home, time to, to recuperate. For players like Sam Arakugbe and Richie Larea. Ali Ahmed as well. 
they're not now going away with Canada, so they've got proper time to to recuperate and get ready for the next games to come. And in Sam and Rich's case, get a chance to settle into the the new city that they're living in. I know Sam's been here before, but all these things are are important as well. So I think this actually comes at the perfect time for the Whitecaps. And from a player's perspective. And from a selfish perspective as well, I like that Canada isn't playing because it does give them this extra break. Yeah, I think it's, it's it, it hopefully will serve them well. Uh, I just you, you, when you're on a roll, I think as a as a club, uh, you kind of want the games to keep going, right? So you just hope it doesn't hurt them. Yeah, I mean that that is fair as well. And I think if it was a chance that we had a home game in that time, it would maybe be better. But because it is such a grueling road stretch, it does split up at least mm-hmm. but yeah i mean we'll we'll talk white caps in this part next part we're going to bring you an interview got to sit down with sam adekukbe part three we'll talk some cpl stuff a lot to to talk about just in general but before we get into all the football chat how has your week been uh life is very full uh it's a time of year where yeah things were yeah, there's lots going on. I was speaking last weekend, so that takes up a considerable amount of time. Well, you, um, you do talk a lot. Well, yeah, I, I talk we- weekly to uh, a younger age group that I that I that I work with predominantly. But uh, this last week, I was speaking to the kind of a larger context. <laughs> so that always requires uh, more time, more energy, and, and a different way to think about things. Um, but no, it's also just going back to school. And so for, yeah, as I work with students and stuff, there's lots to get ready for. And as I have my offspring to look after, uh, and parent and love and care for, there's lots going into that as well. Yeah. I love this time of year because it means I can get back out and there's no kids running around. <laughs> I get to go Facing places. and Facing you and your dog. Yeah. Yeah. My dog's a very nervous dog. Kids love to come up and try and pet her and she's like terrified and runs away and then they're very confused and they're like, I'm just trying to pet your dog. And you're like, get away from my dog. Yeah. Yeah. And get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that being you. And like, Watch for that landmine. <laughs> oh. oh my God. If I had a bigger yard, maybe, but. But yeah, life is uh, life is very busy and very full. But um, we'll talk about this later. But it was good to get out to the stadium and have a yeah another another different kind of experience, <laughs> another new experience, another yeah, first a rainy yeah, a rainy, rainy experience, a partially rainy day. I I got a message actually from someone today. I I, I won't share his name who thoroughly enjoyed your vacation chat. Oh, and yes. said, oh, I, I, I wish there was more of that. Maybe you could do a separate show on it. I went, there was more. I cut out about 10 minutes. Only 10 minutes? Yeah. I have actually haven't listened back to Sometimes I listen back to, to parts of what we do. But, I, well, I but by, the t- by the time we'd finished talking about your vacation, we were over the 20-minute mark of the podcast. And I was yeah, like, ah, <laughs> need to yeah. cut a bit of that out. Well, maybe in the off-season, we have one of those kind of dead weeks we can just... Talk about... That's the busiest time of the season. That's my favorite time of the season. I know, but we always have room for in those times. People love the three, four-hour podcast in that time of the year, don't they? They're well, cold. They got nothing else to do. I, I've, I've said to you before, the longer our podcasts, the more listeners we get. Although, I don't know if it's because they have to listen to it in five different sittings to get through <laughs> they, it all. They put Yeah, they put it on, they fall asleep. They fall asleep <laughs> to it. They wake so, up, they have to start again. Yeah. That that might be why. I mean, 
a couple of weeks ago, we had the podcast with Har, where there was two parts on women's soccer and one part on CPL and an interview with Ivan. Most popular podcast ever? It was our lowest podcast for months. So that's why we need to ramp the Whitecaps stuff back up again. Whitecaps will be rubbing their hands at that, playing hardball. Oh, you want the content? Well, you have to do this for us now. <laughs> Don't they do it to you already? No, like, it, I, I'd mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and I probably should have clarified because I had a folk, couple of folk mentioned this when I said, next year, maybe have a, a think as to what we're going to cover on the site, on the podcast, oh, yeah. folk that I feel appreciate what we give them. And a couple of folk had said, had thought I was talking about the Whitecaps, and far from it. Like, the Whitecaps are fantastic to work with. And, like, Nathan and the other guys in the comms team, for the whole time that we've been doing this, whatever we've basically wanted, whoever we wanted to speak to, apart from two players, have always been happy to speak to us. They're pretty good to you, Michael. They, they are. And it's, like, a lot of time for Nathan and the hard work... Uh, folk probably don't appreciate how much time the the comms team are putting in at the moment. A lot of them are working overtime, seven days a week. They're up late. Sometimes you can email Nathan at 11 at night and you get reply. And it's like, they do a lot of work and I think they are very much underappreciated. Well, well back in the day before he was a parent, I know... Yeah, he would listen to every Whitecaps related podcast all like oh, I think he's in still the middle does. of the night. In the middle yeah, of the night. Yeah. <laughs> Probably on twice the speed for hours, because it's like although maybe that will help him go to sleep if we do some of our three hour shows and, and stuff. He need he needs a holiday. They've got a chance to get it now because as I mentioned, the Whitecaps are in a bye week. But not only that, they know who they are. Oh yeah. They know who they are. Kings of Cascadia, we know who we are. Yes, the Whitecaps, once again, are Cascadia Cup champions. The first time since 2016. A record equaling 7th Cascadian Cup overall. And they won it on Saturday night without even playing in a match. Yeah, That even just, makes it all the sweeter. Just like 2013. Yeah, because it's, it's their fourth in the MLS era. They won it in 2013, 2014, 2016, and now 2023. The first one that Vanny's won, a cup mm -hmm. double for Vanny this year. A historic cup double because they've yeah. never, never done it before, right? The... I, I would have preferred the League's Cup and Canadian Championship if we were going for a cup double, but I'll take the Cascadian Cup. I thought you were going to say MLS Cup. Oh, yeah. We've still got to come out with the you, treble that we've got to come. I've got my yeah, bet to, to rake yeah, yeah. in here. Yeah, yeah. 810 <laughs> bucks is coming my way. Too bad you couldn't have put that down for a treble. That would like probably made you even more money. Parlayed that or something. Ooh, I, don't, I, don't speak, I don't speak the language. I don't speak the betting language. <laughs> I don't know if I, what I said is correct, but... I don't know. It, it sounds good to me. It, I, I just keep getting Caitlin excited by going, your Christmas presents are going to be massive this year. So, I mean, they won it because Seattle, to, oh, to throw another her. football song in, to now and you fucked it up. Yeah, they totally capitulated. Oh. And it all and it all, it all came... I mean, they're, they're, so they're up 2-0 or whatever, right? It all comes from that first a first-half moronic decision. Right, like how many times have we seen? That? I mean, in Vancouver, they in Vancouver with Eric Castley, who would love and appreciate. Um, but 
yeah, the it all comes from a first yellow card for taking off your shirt in celebration over a first half goal. Yeah, what what did, I I said that a couple of weeks ago. Yes, uh, that is the thing that pisses me off the most because because we're talking about CPL games, and I said you don't know if that yellow card is going to cost you down the line for like accumulation accumulation yeah but when you then get sent off for it it's the most ridiculous thing and yeah a first half goal now to be fair i, I i'm probably jumping out of order of how you want to talk about things here but ah. i i thought the second yellow was extremely harsh because it to me yeah. it sort of looked, it was sort of like they the players ran into each other as opposed to any kind of challenge or intentional obstruction and, and maybe maybe I'm wrong but that's how I saw it and then when as I watched it on the re- like cuz I was watching it live and as I watched the replays I was just like oh that's incredibly harsh I mean yeah it, it didn't look like a yellow to me in, in any way shape or form let alone like extremely harsh to be a second yellow I don't know am I wrong I mean I, I I've talked about this before and you, you can't just because it's going to then be a sending off. If you if it, if he wasn't booked, and you're given a booking anyway, you, you still have to give the booking. No, but, but it does I, make it harsher. But but that's what I'm saying. I, yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I, don't I, I think it was a bit harsh. I think it was it was borderline a foul, not borderline yellow card, right? Like that. that I don't know. Well, I mean, we've seen that a few times this season. That it's like I. There's things I've seen that I don't think so, was, but yeah, can VAR review that then? Because it's not technically not for a red card, right? Like that's well, the one. I thing think they can, yeah. So I guess they thought it was legit because, or yeah. it, there's not clear evidence to override the referee's decision. Uh, well, that's the thing. I watched the replay and I was like, uh, clearly, it does not look like a yellow card to me. But but if there's any element of doubt, unless it's absolutely 100 percent clear cut, like if you can look at it and think. Maybe I could see why, then you, you can't override that. Regardless, I think the bigger point for the purposes of our podcast is it, I think it needs to be marked as this is an occasion where VAR not interfering went the white caps. Yes. <laughs> I think that's one of the things, in addition to the actual trophy, that's one of the things that can be celebrated. But it was like a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about that Javain Brown tackle. That he right. got booked for, and yeah. it was a free kick. It wasn't even a free kick, never mind yeah. the booking. Yeah, yeah. And thankfully, that didn't cost him because he could have picked up a second yellow. Yeah. Later in the match, and then the Whitecaps are down to ten men. So I mean, I, I've watched some very interesting decisions in Scotland this past weekend with VAR, and you're watching it, and it's still human error because you're watching that, and you're like, how are they then reviewing that and still not overturning that decision? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but aside from winning the Cascadia Cup, it was great for the Whitecats because Seattle, a team that they're chasing yes. in the playoff hunt, then yeah. dropped two points as well. And it's not even—it's not the playoff hunt; it's the seeding for the playoff. Yeah, hunt. yeah. Um, so I mean that—that that is huge, and it, it's just great to have that silverware. It's another feel-good factor around the club just now that that Vanny's brought. Seeing our, our good friend Peter Zimmerman down at Louisfield yeah. as well, celebrating yeah. with the cop and Yeah, I sent him a I sent him a message. He was yeah, over the moon. Yeah. I mean great stuff. Talking to Portland, 
I'd said on the show last week, I'd been watching these videos about Portland and I was a little bit wary about going down. I asked any of the oh, yes. Whitecaps yeah. fans that had gone and, down. And people got back to you, right? Yeah, I had about four, maybe five people actually get in touch and every single one of them said it definitely looks rougher. There's a lot more graffiti. There's maybe more garbage around. A bit of an increase in homeless people and tents and stuff. But they didn't feel unsafe. Well, that's good. The the stores are definitely quieter, and it's maybe lost a bit. But everyone that went had a good time. Folk were fine. Some folk were like eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock at night, coming out of pubs and stuff. They didn't feel that's unsafe. Good. They saw people walking dogs and stuff around. So, yeah, maybe the videos were a little bit exaggerated because there is a lot of those on video. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd watched this video and it was this guy going, every store in San Francisco's Embarcadero Mall is closed. Yeah. So I watched the video and it's like, well, that one's open. Yeah. Well, that one's open. So it's not every single store is closed. And also he didn't say what time of day he was there. And it's like, are there <laughs> it's shops? Not, it's 8.30 a.m. and not yeah. a single store in this place is open. But then since then, because I watched that video, all these other ones, it's like, every store in San Jose is closed. Every store in Oakland is closed. I'm like, yeah, I think Could I'm be. getting it's the trend just, yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it does but look a lot different downtown but, San Francisco as well from when I was there. That's good there to hear. There's a lot of things closed. It's good to hear that people still felt, felt safe in Portland. Because, I mean, no matter where you're coming from, Portland away has always been like a fun day out, right? I mean, because the football... And the football culture there is, is uh, so great. And the city in general, I would say, is very welcoming um, yeah. to supporters. And I mean, so... this, this might not go down well, but out of the two cities, I've always felt Seattle is the much more attractive city. Uh, you mean as a city or as a football away day? Like, what do you like? No, I, I, like as, as a city, I think okay. Seattle's the the more attractive city. I think it's got a lot more going for it. Portland, I've, I always found it a little bit more kind of rough and ready. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I feel like because it's smaller and stuff, I always, there's always places to go and things to do that I wanted to do. That. Yeah. Plus, also, I think when you're, I think I also went more places and did more things in Portland because uh, there, I don't know if this has changed, but there was no state tax in Oregon. So things were oh, always just yes. a little bit yeah. cheaper. And, stuff. It, so and also because it's smaller, and... it's easier to get around a bit as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like the food scene better in portland yeah yeah that's not to say that portland or seattle doesn't have some great food options no. but yeah also uh, the, the portland fans are a lot less obnoxious than the seattle fans 100 150 percent and i do prefer portland stadium because it's smaller and it's more just compact and so in in general in that in football in terms i prefer portland yeah yeah as a city to visit i've always kind of preferred seattle but yeah the the no sales tax was always helped but hopefully i'll get down at portland probably won't be for playoffs unless portland <laughs> do a, an amazing late run which they could could get this new coach bounce it's just starting to get a couple of points anyway or but, they could get is, is there a chance they could sign like an argentine on a free that could like turn their season around possibly you never know i hear that's popular route in mls yes the Whitecaps were in action on Saturday and we won't delve too much into the game in New York City because it was a horrible game of football. It, I did not enjoy that game on Saturday at all. 
but it was a fantastic point to get on yeah. the road. Seven points from the first three road games on this seven-game stretch is an absolutely amazing return. Yeah, it is undefeated. Um, I I think it, it's, it feels hard. Like, how many years has NYCFC been in the league now? And they still play in that horrible 2014, situation. I think, right? they, they joined. Yeah. I mean, the... It's really, it's really poor. It's not a. It feels. I know it's within regulate regu, regulations in terms of the size of the field, but it yeah, it does not so look it though, does it? Small. Yeah. I mean, let, let's talk about that. And I was going to talk about that after the game, but we'll we'll talk about that now. Yeah. So, the pitch, the stadium, the setup, it looks terrible on TV, mm-hmm. and whenever you've got like weird slanty angles and stands it just Doesn't makes help. things look look worse yeah i said this in my report and someone queried what i meant and then i kind of clarified so just to kind of explain it's only allowed because it's in new york yeah oh yeah if vancouver said oh we want to have this as a setup it would be like yeah no way not a chance but because they wanted a new york derby because it's one of the two major markets uh, for media in the US, it's like, yep, do this. Okay, short term. Okay, now it's medium term. Okay, now it's turned into long term, although things are progressing in that. But any other city outside of probably LA and that, and maybe if Beckham's Miami had said, oh, this is what we need to do as well to start with, other clubs would not be allowed that. Like if Columbus oh, or Chicago sure. were like, oh, we'd like to do this, it'd be like, no, you're no. not going to be in the league if you do this. Now, there were some interesting quotes after the game. Ryan Gold was asked about it, and he said, it wasn't fun. <laughs> the pitch is at a strange angle. It's shorter than other pitches. The grass is really, really poor. It's a bit of a surprise in a league like this that they even can be allowed to play in that stadium. But it is what it is, and we're just more happy to come away from here with a point. And it's the first time he's played there, and he must have been like, "What is this?" Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I think he's seen. He's been to a number of places where he's seen the quality that uh, the league has, and that uh, you know the different the different clubs have to offer. And so, yeah, I think for him, it's even just a comparison of the other places he's seen. Like, how well, yeah, can when I spoke how can to you him, have such good good places like you know the place I just went, BMO BMO Stadium in in in, in LA. And then you go to New York and you're like, wait, what is this? Yeah. I also, because there's so many folk watching around the world now, a lot of folk won't have seen this stadium like this until recently. And they're going to be like, what? How's that allowed? Yeah. And like Vanny said, I feel for them and I feel for the fans of New York. This is a fantastic stadium. I've never been to Yankee Stadium before. I'm really happy that I have the possibility to come here and play. But it's designed for a different sport. I can see the thing about our stadium when they complain about the turf and everything, so it is what it is. And it, it isn't ideal. And I haven't watched tons of NYCFC games. I watched them in the playoffs and I, at the Eastern Conference. I maybe watched the odd highlight and I, I forgot how bad it was yeah. until I switched the game on. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's just so, Uh-oh. so poor. And... It probably affected the Whitecaps a little bit because we like to use width. We've got our wingers. Yes. And well, yeah, with the, with the new setup, especially. Yeah. It limits how how effective that can be. 
So, I mean, getting back to the game, I think that probably explains why it wasn't a fantastic game of football. I mean, the lineup that they had out, I, I think arguably that is the Whitecaps' first choice lineup right now. The only change would maybe be Ali Ahmed in the middle for Schopf. I concur. But I can see some games that Schopf would be preferred and some games that Ali would be preferred. So, I mean... That, that's fair. Yeah. The, the rest of it, for me, that you're looking at that as that's your strongest lineup. That's the lineup that you would hope is going to be lining up for, for much of the playoffs. But the, the first half, it was so much of a non-event. That said, New York should have gone in in the lead because Andres Jasson... Oh, man. ...missed a sitter in front of goal, six yards out. Great work by Maxi Morales. And he's going to be a good addition back with NYC perfect cutback and you're like oh there we go it's 1-0 it was, was a real harder to miss that was a real jazz on for sure yes man he was jazz on of himself it, it was it was horrendous it, yeah it was a it was a it was a pretty huge gaff because like it could be you, a very costly one for them as well in the grand totally, scheme of totally. things because when you look at it back and you see the replay especially the one from behind the net it's like um Takaoka is not is like not going to get there. Like if it's on frame anywhere, it's like in the net essentially. Yep. Uh, and, and you know Takaoka was doing his best to dive across or whatever. And like, but he 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 had no he would not have been default at fault had that gone in. No, but it's a shocking miss. I, I mean, I, I say it could be massive for them. Like you look at the Eastern Conference standings, and right now, NYC are three points shy of the playoff line. That goes in. They get a win, they're one point off, and it's a whole different mindset that oh, they're yeah. going into. Now they're really, really playing chase up as well, and they've played more games than most of the teams as well. And in fact, all the teams round about them, apart from Atlanta. So, I mean, that that was huge. And it, it's for that reason that I, I think a point was a fair result. I mean, the Whitecaps did have a couple of chances, and they could maybe have won it and taken three. But... Equally, they could have they could have lost because that goal should have gone in. They should have had the lead, and then it would have been a whole different second half. So I think a point was a fair result, and the the action all came in a five minute spell just before the hour mark. NYC took the lead ten minutes into the second half, and what annoyed me so much about this, was, I, I knew you were going to say, oh, Santiago Rodriguez is allowed to run forty yards with the ball from his own half with no one going near him to challenge him and try and knock the ball away. But okay, but why did that happen? Right? It, you, the, the real the real frustrating part of the play is the the so it's it's you know the white white caps I can't remember if they had a set piece or whatever but it, I, it was a, I don't know if it was a second phase or what I can't remember but they put the ball into the New York box and New York won the header and it was like a counterattack. And the to me the 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 most glaring and biggest error is Laborda lunges in. I can't remember mm -hmm. which NYCFC player it was, who then plays it wide to Rodriguez or plays it off to Rodriguez, who then has all the space to run into. So you had I think it was uh, Ranko moving over to cover uh, Laborda's spot on the right side center back, and you had Kubas trying to run back to cover the middle. But it w it was it was yeah that was the. The, the initial glaring error to me, but yeah, the fact that Renko couldn't close him down or couldn't do do more to put pressure on him was uh, definitely concerning. 
yeah, and it was a nice finish as well from Bakrar through the legs of Takaoka. And the way the game had gone, I was like, ah, I think that could be it. It's, it's probably going to be an NYC. They're going to hold on to win this. But full credit to the Whitecaps. Like, the fighting spirit of this team is just tremendous. And they they don't know when to give up. They, well, they don't give up. They don't know when they're beaten. And it, it's really coming to the fore. They, they got back with a penalty, and it was no doubt about it for me. James Sands, he had his arms all wrapped around gold, pulled him down the box after he was played in from a pass from White. After a long time to sort everything out, Gold picks himself up, scores from the spot, it's 1-1, that's the end of the scoring, but it, it was just, it was good that the Whitecaps didn't put their heads down, and we've seen that so much from Vanny's teams, but this year in particular, there's a fighting spirit that I feel bad for thinking, oh, that's going to be it now, because I shouldn't, because the, the, this is a team that does come back and can get these points. Yeah. It was also interesting, I think, Vanny was, I think, frustrated with Laborda as well because he subbed them off right yes. after that for, for yes, Brown. right after. And it was, sorry, it was Ranko. Ranko couldn't do anything about the initial run for Origas. It was the layoff where he didn't maybe read the run super yeah. well. It um, was a game that, a few weeks ago as well that Brown had had a, a mistake as well and Brown and they, pulled off yeah, right so, after yeah. as well. Yeah. Which is, uh, I think, is it fair to call that... Uh, an improvement on on Vanny's performance yes. as a coach, I think so. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, he, he's it, reacting a lot better. Yeah, sometimes I th I think he could maybe be a bit more proactive, but yeah. he's not he's not waiting until it's too late. He's he's yeah. making a decision right away. But I but I think also part of that conversation is when you have players like. Larea and Atakube, you don't have to worry about, oh, do I need to hold Brown to be a wingback sub later also, right? Like you it it the the composition of the squad is fuller and his options are he has more options essentially. Yeah. So that, that I think has made it easier for to make those two subs we're talking about with the one time taking off Brown for Laborda, right? And the other time taking Laborda off for Brown. Um because you don't have to worry, does this guy need to cover later in the game for a, a tiring wingback? Yeah, um, and I, I think, think it is an improvement. They'd said as well that Vanny feels that Javain struggles if he starts three games in a row. And oh, they've okay, seen yeah. that over, over the previous matches as well, that he gets a little bit tired, so it's better to bring him on as a sub. He's away now uh, on national team duty as well, off his own accord, so he's not getting a rest <laughs> in between all, all the things. But I, I think a point was a... Was a good result in the end, and just a, a great first three games in the spells we talked about, and the team's really finding its groove. Mm -hmm. Has ten goals and eight assists now in MLS this season for Ryan Gold, and when you think of the slow start that he had, just where he could have been if he'd had this all season long, he's the joint leading scorer with Brian White. And it's there's not been many times in the MLS era when the Whitecaps have had two double-digit double scorers. Because yeah. I, I went back, so in 2021, White had 12 and Dahomey had 10 in MLS action. And you had to go back 
to 2011 before that, mm-hmm. when Berg. Camilo had 12 Camilo. and Hasley had 10. Yeah. So it's only the third time in all of the MLS era that we've had two strikers hit double digits. Or not strikers, but two attacking players hit double digits. And that's a promising sign, especially because there's eight games to go. So they're really going to start to push on. And then, like, kind of touching on on that as well, I had a a little bit of a look. White is also closing in on Camilo for the most Whitecaps goals in the MLS era. Camilo had 43 goals in 102 appearances, 39 in MLS. Yeah, I was going to say it was 30. It was 39 in MLS because uh, some friends in, and I were very excited to celebrate his 40th goal. <laughs> that never came about. Well, he got in four in the Canadian Championships. So yeah, he had 43 overall. So right yeah. now, White's on 33 from 91, 26 in MLS, one in the League's Cup, two in Champions League, and four in the Canadian Championship. So mm. I had a, a little look at some of the others as well. Pedro Morales, because I was curious what he, he ended up on. So he finished with 29, yeah, 25 MLS, four Canadian Championship, and that was from 95 appearances. So White's outperformed Morales, obviously two very different positions though as, as well. And like but, half of Morales's were PKs too, I think, yeah. right? Which I haven't looked at Gold's, but it feels a lot of his are as well. He's on 25, as well as his club leading 24 assists. So it's 25 goals and 85 appearances, 22 in MLS, and three in the Canadian Championship. Say that again. Twenty-five and how many appearances? In eighty-five. So he has forty-nine goal contributions in eighty-nine. In eighty-five appearances. Eighty-five appearances. That's that's pretty quality. Yeah. But that's well well worth his his wages and and probably then some. Yeah, he he's definitely been the best acquisition for the Whitecaps in their MLS era. And I'm not saying that just because he's Scottish, although that obviously does help. But no, he, I mean, he's been fantastic. And the two of them, we touched on this on last week's show, the chemistry and the understanding that Gold and White have just now, it's fantastic. They know exactly where, where the other one is and they're really linking up well, which then has a big question mark over Sergio Cordova. I was going to say, we can't, we can't finish talking about this game without talking about... Yes, I was... You, you talked about... J- well, I was going to call him Jason, but Jason's or however you pronounce his name. I, I, it might be Jason. I think they said Jason and the things, just it's got two S's. So I just um, wanted to do the ass jokes. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, you can't talk about that without talking about Cordova's miss. Yeah. The, the flag was up. But he was on side. He was on side. Yeah, <laughs> it would have counted uh, when they reviewed it. Yeah. That was what I was meaning about the Whitecaps could have won it. Yes. And it's worrying because he had started to find his groove and now mm-hmm. he's yeah, he did. have lost it again. And you don't see him getting a start in the team right now because why would you drop what's working? Why would you drop the perfect striker for the next perfect striker? Yeah. No, in all in all seriousness, like yeah. what what White is bringing on and off the ball is too much for Vanny to not play a play an uh, an out of form striker in his place, right? On at least on a regular basis in the in these next four games, maybe he'll maybe he gets one start, but yeah, it is. I guess is concerning and as frustrating as it is with you know the cost of bringing him in and wages and whatever the 
the hope is, like you said, he had a very poor form to start the the, the year. Then it seemed like he hit some uh, good good form, and he has been known to be patchy. So I think yeah. the, the hope for Vancouver fans would be that he hits that next patch just at the right time at the end of the season going into the playoffs and or in the playoffs. My worry about that, though, is he's not going to get enough minutes on the pitch that to is hit a, that patch. That's a valid worry, valid concern. But you can't just play him in the hope that that's going to happen either because you need to have those contributions. And like Brian White's not faultless because... No. Y- you know my thoughts on XG. I won't go into all that again. Yeah. But he should have way more goals than he does. Yeah, but to to be fair, and, and I, I can't remember what was last... Is this his third season now? Yeah, 21 he came midway through right. the season. So and two he, and a half. So he got like 10 goals or 12 goals in half a year. And then last year, he didn't even hit 10, right? In league play? Just under, I believe. Yeah. So I remember last year, I was like, oh, he's going to be, he's going to regress to the means or whatever. This year, he's already outperformed what I thought he would do. So I I can't fault, can't fault him for, for what he's done. But you're right. He doesn't take all of the chances that are created for him from players like Gold and early in the year players like Gressel. But, um, uh, the one thing, I, the one thing, at least I think, it, it, with the depth that they do have, if like a white were to go down, even though Kudrova isn't in form, you have someone you know has the capability um, to score in bunches, right? So, w- with obviously a number of other types of players with different types of quality, you know, that could fill in or or, or play different roles. But yeah, right now. Well, the thing that the Whitecaps need the most is they need to keep everyone healthy and they need to kind of just keep rolling the way they are. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to jinx anything, but that is a big thing, keeping everyone healthy for the most important are you talking about, season. Are you talking about the the uh, Halle Berry character from James Bond? I, I've never liked James Bond. Oh. I think she played a character called Jinx in, like, was it Daniel Craig's first one? or? Um... I've always liked Pussy Galore. Oh, Michael. And of course, Sean Connery and stuff. I've got Brian White's stats up here. He scored seven last year, so I knew it was just under yeah, the below ten. digits. But I had forgotten he only got four in MLS because three of them came in the Canadian Championship. Oh, it was seven on, on total, right? Yeah. yeah, seven in total, so it's only four in yeah, MLS. See, play it was last quite year. the regression because the year before, yeah. he had 10 or 12 in the league, I think. Yeah. And that was over half a year. Yeah. I was from 26 appearances as well last year. So he'd had a bit of an injury from the preseason, if I remember right, coming in. Yes, yeah. But the Whitecaps just now flying. Currently sit sixth in the the Western Conference on 38 points from 26 games, 10 wins, 8 draws, 8 defeats, 8 games to go. A lot of 8s there. Top of of Canada, top of Cascadia. Don't forget those. Yes, it's like all our rivals have been put to the sword, so that's good to see. So, I mean, that's the standings in the MLS West heading into this weekend, but although it's the international break, San Jose, Kansas City, Minnesota, Portland, and LAFC from the Western Conference are all in action. What, Michael? Emelis is going to play games during an international break? I'm stunned. Well, I mean, have you heard about Miami's situation? Because not only are they losing Messi, but nine players are away on international duty. 
And they're gonna like they're not forfeiting or not no. canceling or not no, saying hey re reschedule this. Hey Garber, reschedule so we can make the playoffs. Is Apple not saying oh, no? We can't uh, show a game with no Messi. Yes, the uh, the the pitch is uh, unavailable due to inclement weather. Well, you might find it could be a burst pipe or something. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Warthogs on the pitch or something. We'll we'll come in back to to Miami in a in a, in a little bit. But the Whitecaps right now, heading into this weekend, the Whitecaps are three points off Seattle in second with two games in hand. Five points clear of Austin in 10th. They're on 33 points. And the Caps have a game in hand on Austin. So it's looking good for the playoffs. But you want more than just getting into the playoffs. You want yeah. a minimum of top seven so you're avoiding this wild card. Ideally, you're wanting top four because of the best of three series to get two home games if you need two home games. Oh, I forgot it's best of three. Oh, oh yeah. so the the wild cards are one off, then yeah, it's yeah. best of three, and then it goes back to one off again. I forgot about the best of three. That's the most ridiculous thing ever. It, that feels like a regression back to the old days. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Is there going to be like a shootout from three, five yards out of this game? I'd kind of welcome that a little bit. I've seen enough penalty shootouts now. I'm kind of over penalty shootouts this season. It's like, yeah, have something oh. new. No, Michael. That's, that's a bit of fun. I don't mind that because it's, it's a bit more unique. But it's, of course, so that every playoff team has at least one home game, which I can see why they're doing it and Apple, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, the Whitecaps... You're wanting top four. That's what they're gunning for. Now, if Minnesota and San Jose were to win at the weekend, then the Whitecaps could finish this weekend in eighth, but with a game in hand on Minnesota and two in hand on on Dallas. The Whitecaps have eight games remaining. Those eight games, it's TFC, Houston, RSL and Colorado all away to finish this seven-game stretch. Then back at home on September 30th against DC United. Robo's coming home with a fat granny shagger. Then home to St. Louis. Away to Seattle. Home to LF LAFC in October. So six of the eight games are against Western teams with only Colorado of those six not a playoff team. Colorado, who you were said were so bad... Got rid of Robin Fraser this week. They were so bad against LAFC. I saw a couple of folk pitching Robin Fraser as potential Canadian men's national team coach. No, like, we need a Canadian. We talked about this last time, right? We yeah, need, I, I don't we feel it Canadian. has to be a Canadian. Sorry, we need a Canadian or, like, a, an established coach from somewhere that is not America, in my opinion. I, I feel it helps if it's somebody that's got international, like, national team experience. Because it is very different. Because you're not dealing with the players day in, day out. So I, I think that is something that they should be looking at. But we'll see if we hear any more about that. Looking at, at the games, I can see three points from Toronto. I know they got that win, but I, I mean you've got to be looking at Toronto and thinking, yeah, three points there, three points in Colorado. I'd take one against RSL and... Anything in Houston, then, I feel is a bonus. DC at home must three points. They've got to take three points there. So that's then 10 points from the rest of September 
which would give them 48 points. I think that should get them in the playoffs. 48 should get them in the playoffs, but it could be 8th or ninth. At this point, it feels like it would be shambolic if they were to fall out of the playoffs. The one thing I will say, though, is even though, yes, I think on form and based, you know, the season as a whole, uh, Vancouver very much should beat Toronto, even though it's an away match. Uh, I don't think you, I think that game might be more difficult than it appears to be on paper at this moment. I, yeah. I think, I think the, I think they still have a few players there who know the significance of the, of the, dare, dare I say, rivalry of the two, of the two clubs. Yeah. And, and the importance of the fans. It's not even a rivalry anymore. Well, it's the it's the Larea Derby. There you go. He's going to have I mean, all the secrets. It, it's not it's not on the level of Montreal and Toronto um, by any means. But um, yeah, TFC and their 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 supporters, like with Montreal, will not want to lose. No, at Vancouver at home. And I still hate them. So there's that. Like I, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's necessarily like megaphone throwing worthy if they, if Toronto FC loses. But but yeah, they will not be very happy. Yeah. Barring a complete collapse, a complete fuck up, Vancouver should be in the playoffs from what they've got in September. What they do in October is going to be the difference maker as to whether they're top four or not. O- October's tough because it's like St. Louis are flying, but obviously it's at home. Our form's pretty good at home, but we have dropped points. Seattle away, we have struggled off late down there. Do you think the fact that the Cascadia Cup is settled helps them? One less thing to worry about? I, I not, don't or not think at we all. care about that at all, okay. to be honest. When it, it's like the fans do. The players, it's nice to lift a trophy and stuff, but I don't think that ever factors into it for, for the players. LAFC, the I, last I, game of the season. Oof. Yeah, that's big. I think it's got a good good record against them up here. I think it has matter matter for some players in the history of the competition, but yeah, more, more recently maybe, though, I don't maybe, I don't think so. I think, I think actually in general the Cascadia Cup has felt less important recently, and I think well, it's just because there's so many games. Well, partly when you don't win it for a while, yeah, that that I think the significance of it wanes, right? So what it's been seven years, so yeah. In the last six games, if you look at the the form guide. The top three teams in MLS just now all have 13 points from those six games. Vancouver's one of them, Orlando's one of them, and LA Galaxy that are making a very late push now. Then Minnesota are the the fourth best form team as well with 12. So obviously they are starting to hit form at a good time as well. Minnesota's unbeaten in six with three wins and three draws, and a lot of it's been sparked by Reneso coming back, and he's in fantastic form. Houston's unbeaten in five now. Three wins and two draws. So they've started to hit a little bit of a, a groove. Only three of the last eight games, though, for the Whitecaps, are against top ten form teams. Minnesota right. in fourth, Houston in seventh, RSL in tenth. So obviously form can change, but they've got to be very confident going into this. Is Houston not one of them? Like when you look at this, those standings, is Houston not one of the most surprising? I think in so. the playoff spot? Didn't yeah. we all both have them? Even and Steve, didn't we all have them like rock bottom or near rock bottom in the <laughs> at the beginning of the year? I feel Houston's had better teams before and struggled. Yes, I agree. And 
I mean, they've got they've got some good players and they've made some good additions as the season's gone on as well. It's Dallas that's dropping down as well. That's surprising, and Sporting Kansas City's picked points up now as well. I think it's going to be a really fierce battle for ninth with Dallas, Austin, KC, Portland, and the Galaxy, because the Galaxy still have a couple of games in hand as well. And if San Jose, they're not, they've hit a bit of a slump as well. They could get drawn into that. So I, I think Vancouver for a top seven spot, if they just keep ticking along, I, I think that's almost guaranteed and top four even like second or third is in their hands right now you still fancy LAFC I think to probably get second maybe even catching St. Louis if St. Louis have a blip but I, I definitely think we can catch Seattle so I a third third place finish isn't beyond us despite Har being on the show and being adamant oh, yeah. That they're oh, never yeah. going to be top four. Like, I forget, does she have to get a tattoo if they do, or how does that work? We'll just make that real now, yeah. <laughs> Last little bit I want to talk about in this part, MLS-wise. Inter-Miami, Messi. They're still third favourites to lift the MLS Cup. Yeah. Well, they single, dropped. Single they dropped. digits. They were, like, second favourite for, I think, a little bit there. Oh, were they? Oh, I'm pretty sure they were right, second, right. yeah. The interesting stats came out this week that since Messi joined, the uptake in Apple TV buys has gone up 1,700% worldwide. <laughs> and tickets, insane. Tickets for the games, right? Like that LAFC game. Well, yeah, I was going to mention that. I don't know how that went down. There was a lot of pink shirts yeah. splattered around the stadium. Thankfully, not in the supporters section because I don't think they would have lasted long in there. That way they wouldn't be allowed. Yeah, the, the uh, but no, like people were selling. I think the cheapest was like twenty. I heard twenty six hundred for a pair. Yeah, I'd heard it was like four figures uh, a ticket. Yeah, and the, the, you saw. I think J. I think JJ tweeted out the the celebrity list. Did you? Oh see that? yeah. <laughs> Although you say celebrity list, I read it and I didn't know who most of the folk were. Right, there's a bunch of people, especially some of these musicians. I don't know who they were, but um, the well, the guy Miguel was there again. Uh, from um, uh, Cobra Kai. From yeah. the, he was the game I was at. Um, I can't remember but, if all the Cobra Kai chat got cut out of the last episode as oh, well. Oh, it might have. It <laughs> might have. Miguel from Cobra Kai, he's also the Blue Beetle, which I heard not good reviews of. Oh, so I might have left that in because I like my Blue Beetle jokes. So. Oh, I, that's not repeated because I can't remember. <laughs> I've deleted it in my memory. <laughs> was it Paul George? <laughs> that one. All right. Yes. Talking um, about the Miami LAFC game, I'll be honest, I was stunned by that. Okay. But that said, LAFC, particularly uh, Buanga, yeah. squandered so many chances. The commentators were like, oh, he's in line for MVP. Just play that game. No, he's not. Yeah. So my, my uh, Kirk, partly because we had been at the stadium, and partly because he we haven't we haven't like watched any of Messi's like games in MLS, but he was like, "Hey, can we watch this game?" So I was like, "No problem." So we avoided it. We watched it back on Apple TV later that night or whatever. And then I think I watched the next day. I think I watched the highlights uh, also. So yeah, I was messaging with you yeah. during, not during it, but after it, messaging with you about it. And um, I think it was when I watched the highlights again. I was like, "Oh yeah, like." Uh, it was sort of, um, you know, definitive 
for Miami, Miami in one sense, but in another sense, uh, not just Boriaga, but the LAFC as a whole really missed some quality chances in that game. That 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 I think was the, ultimately the turning, like not the turning point, but the decisive factor. Right? If they had yeah. taken one or two of those chances more earlier in the match, I think it's a little bit of a different match. Now, obviously, Messi is Messi, and he sets up. Was it two out of the three goals? Yeah, three. Or all three I can't remember. So yeah, so it was. I mean, he he was a, a massive factor uh, on the evening. But well, uh, I think I think I think ultimately it was. That's what MLS wants. That's what Apple TV yes. wants. It was a game like you had to watch. Like you, oh yeah. You, and so I mean, we, we both said, "Oh no, spoilers! We want to watch yeah, it yeah. later." Yeah, yeah. me like, "Don't say anything." Yeah. I'm watching it later. I was like, "I'm watching it later too." Yeah. I won't say anything to you. Well, I've. This is surprising because we're not broadcasting live, but I've actually just got a DM in about that game. Oh, no. Um, Carlos Vela's still very upset he didn't get the ball passed to him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Boriaga really should have passed. Because that was, when you watch the game, I think it was was it the third goal for for Miami. It was like oh, the exact exact same thing. I don't know if it was me- I think it was Messi. He was coming yeah, down. Because Messi, not selfish. Not selfish, laid it off, and they scored. Whereas, yeah, Vela, yeah. I'm I mean, sure. that that is the thing uh, about Messi. He is not a selfish player. Like, he can go and try all these things and do all these things and he'd get away with it. He wouldn't get a hard time. But he isn't selfish. He just... No. Because he's such a complete footballer, right? Yeah. He's, he has such great, great vision and obviously quality of passing. And yep. so, yeah. It's another another thing came out this week. It was in the Athletic. Athletic, so I don't know if you saw it or not, where they had done a big thing about how Messi's breaking MLS media rules. Because oh. for, if folk don't know the MLS media rules, every player has to be available to media 15 minutes after the game. Right. And locker rooms have to be open Opened. 15 minutes yeah. after the game. So they're not doing that? So Messi's not done, apart from one thing, he's not done any media. So, but... So obviously that needs to be addressed, but he's not the only player who's done that. No, other ones have as well. But what he doesn't trust media. What the article was saying is, when he's played all over the world and in Spain, there's select South American media that he'll talk to, and he doesn't trust a lot of media. And he's messy. He doesn't need to to speak to media. I I get that. And I'm not going to give him too hard a time for that. It might mean we'll never find out if he fancies a chocolate digestive. I still have hopes. <laughs> I, I I will if I see him. Just yell. I can just see the look in his eye as the translator is like trying to explain to him. <laughs> He's like, this guy wants to know if I like chocolate cookies with chocolate on them, dipped in my tea. Maybe I should bring dipped- a packet with me. Yes, you should. I brought some visual aids here. <laughs> but at the same time, like I, I'm not a fan of David Beckham. But what I will say is David Beckham understood yeah. his role in MLS to grow the game. Zlatan, underst- well, Zlatan liked publicity. He just liked yeah. talking anyway. But he understood, no, folk want to talk to me. They want to hear what Zlatan says. Zlatan will talk. And Zlatan did talk. And yeah. talk and talk and talk. But he understood the role of like growing the game. Mm-hmm. So I hope they can kind of get a, a compromise. He has come out and said, 
because he he said about the artificial pitches. He's like, no, I've, I I play on any pitch in yeah, my career. Yeah. I'm not not going to play on artificial pitches. So that was just all scare th- things. It would be nice if he did a bit more media, but you know it's going to be a bit of a gong show. I can understand why they wouldn't open the locker rooms for that very reason. And to be honest, I don't like going in the locker rooms. A lot well, of the, the teams w- are busy. You don't go in the locker room. Well, you? You, you can. But, really? yeah, we, we kind of have an agreement that they'll bring the players out now. They bring the players yeah. out, yeah. Because I, yeah. I prefer that, anyway. Because, to me, coming from the UK, that's their special place. Yeah, yeah. And I don't feel media should even be going in there. So, I no. mean, it might end up leading to changes. But, oh, yeah. There was that time where Caleb Porter brought me brought me into the Timbers locker room, and I felt really awkward. He's like, oh, come talk to Darren. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And I was like, uh, I, I really do not belong here. I, I, there's too it, much there's too many pieces of chopped up wood in this room for me to be <laughs> yeah it's like when you've got female journalists as well and oh yeah players are just wandering about naked and stuff yeah it, it's awkward it's like that scene i was watching re-watching uh a classic film the other day jerry Maguire, and uh Cuba Gooding Jr. is waiting and he's no one no one in the media is talking to him. And there's like this reporter, female reporter talking to this fully naked uh player from his team from the Cardinals, and she like drops her mic in front of him. <laughs> She's like reaches down to pick it up. <laughs> it's all awkward, right? And you're like, uh yeah, like I can't I I yeah. I've I, done interviews no... with white caps guys just sitting it... with towels wrapped around them, and it's just you just feel so awkward. And then you know they don't want to talk to you at that point. Yeah. I th- yeah, well, I'll tell you another story later. But um, but uh, but no, in our in our in this cultural moment, also like what you're saying, where we have uh, 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 a good number, a rising number of uh, female journalists yeah. who cover MLS, that's just like an inappropriate context to place uh, a, someone who's doing their job in, right? Yeah. Well, you got to figure they, there's some kind of balance there, whether it's there's rules within the locker room or yeah, they do what what's predominantly done at BC Place. Where they shift it and they do it outside the locker yeah. room. Yeah, and the, the visitors usually just bring them out as well. And I genuinely do prefer that. And yeah. I think the players do as well. And they're oh, a bit yeah. more relaxed and, and everything like that as well. So, I mean, we'll see see what happens with that. I mean, Messi's been good. He's Messi's come here and he said, I, I want to be part of the team. I want to be treated like every other player. Just don't mix up our paychecks. <laughs> Hey, uh, Messi, uh, today we, we're doing a paycheck swap, so you have Kamal Miller's paycheck. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, Kamal, uh, you got Kamal I think there's been a mistake here. Kamal, you, you have shared, now I'm sure it's an Apple TV Plus. <laughs> Kamal's like, oh, sorry, I, I'll be with you in a second, Lionel. I'm just on the phone to Ferrari. <laughs> oh, uh, but I mean, what Messi's done, it's got everyone talking about the league. I... I, I still stand by this. If Miami now get a League's Cup and MLS Cup double, I think that's bad for the league. And I think it sets a bad example of, hey, let's just go and bring all these guys in and we can we can just scoosh to the championship. Although, on the other hand, you've got Toronto FC. Yeah, there. I mean, there is something... I, mean, I think you maybe want to mention this later so you could... We could leave it till later, but... There is an interesting thing happening in world football now where you can contrast um, where players are going to, how shall we say, develop the game, 
Yeah, actually, I've, yeah, I was going to mention that in the last part, but we'll, we'll mention it now. So we're talking about the Saudi League. Yeah, and, it, it, it is quite interesting because I told yeah. you it's on the zone. So I've, I've, uh, I don't know if I've watched. The, oh no, I watched one. I think I watched one whole game. I watched a number of highlights just to check on some players that I, I used to, you know, care about or, uh, you know, have an interest in or whatever. And and for Kirk, he's like, yeah, there's some of the players he knows, and it's like, oh, what are they up to now? So we watch some highlights and stuff. But it and it 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 is really interesting how, you know, having spent a, a very limited amount of time and not watching any club football live or even on TV when I was in the Middle East there, but um, uh, it, the culture around the game has is it, it's it's grown significantly, man. Like seeing some of the highlights of the games I've seen and, and watching parts that I've watched, like yeah, it's for the most part. I mean, there's a couple of stadiums you're watching, you're like okay, no one's there, and it's like okay, you can see where they need to grow things, but the the bigger clubs there are like. Uh, they have a culture. They have a football culture that's significant, and their their stadiums aren't huge, right? They're, uh, I think, more in the twenty to thirty kind of range or eighteen to the thirty five kind of range. But um, there is, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how it has progressed and how you know the 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 money that backs the clubs and or the league is doing all that they can to make it a desirable place to come to continue to help to grow that. And obviously there's an element of, well, I guess what's commonly referred to as sport washing yeah. you know, going on in terms of making Saudi Arabia, um, I guess, look better in, you know, the, the eyes of the world or whatever. But um, if you look at it just on a footballing level, it's really interesting to see uh, how many, they, because of the money they've been offered, how many players have been able to lure but when you look at the teams and you look at the this team has one star, this team has five stars or stars, you know, you people who played in Europe in the Champions League or whatever. Um, it's really, really interesting to see. And it to me, it is kind of an interesting contrast to the players who have chosen previously or even now in like a Messi to come to North America and do a, a take on a similar kind of role. Um, and well, how do you think that's going to affect MLS? Because obviously the Saudis are throwing big money about. And it's like, does that make MLS less desirable now? Is it going to be tougher for MLS to attract well, some of these players in their, in their later years when you've got all this money in Saudi? Well, I guess one way I think about it is North America sort of pridefully prides itself on uh, being about capitalism. And capitalism is supposed to thrive when there's competition. Um, so in one sense, maybe that, that'll be good for them. Um, and one, I mean, you think about like, for example, just one club, you think Toronto FC, like, oh, I know that there, some of their people are excited. Like, oh, we can maybe sell Insignia to a Saudi club and recoup yes. some of our losses and, and, and move on to players that are more of a fit here and, and whatever. So I, I think there'll be a few situations where it helps them with that, but no, I agree with you. It will be, it will create, um, there less opportunities to bring in the types of players that might um, uh, move the needle on and off the pitch, like a Beckham, like a Messi, like an Ibrahimovic, you know, like they've lost out on Ronaldo. You know, Ronaldo was not going to come to North America for a long time because of legal reasons. And yeah. then it seemed like the door opened up to that and he chose uh, presumably a bigger payday to go to, uh, to the, the, the Saudi league. And, um, a lot of players have chosen that as well. Even players who've gone on a free, like uh, Karim Benzema went on a free and, you know, obviously got a huge, huge payday. 
uh, in terms of his salary. But um, and then you have players. I, I think sorry to, to also just to maybe contrast a little bit what I said before in terms of sport washing, whatever. You have uh, I've read comments from a player like um, I can't remember his first name now, but uh, Kubale, the center back uh, who played for Chelsea. Mm. Who chose? Who chose to go? Uh, I think he's a teammate with Benzema. I can't remember now, but or he's at Al Halal, um, where I think Neymar has landed. Um, and he said, "I'm really happy to be in Saudi." I'm. He says, "I'm Muslim. I'm really happy to be in Saudi Arabia. Uh, like I know the culture; it's meaningful for me. I am close to Mecca. I can make my pilgrimage easier or more often, and I'm very, very happy here." So you have a that's a. You know, I think he's the first player I've heard say 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 that kind of thing. But there there will be some players who will it'll also be attractive on that level as well, um, like on a cultural level. Um, yeah, I don't. What do you think in terms of well, the, how this will play out in in maybe in the next year or two in terms of being a competitor to MLS for either aging or players who are looking for a different challenge coming out of Europe or South America? I mean, it, as long as it's not going to go the same way as the Chinese Super League where everyone brought the players in and then it, there were so many problems and I don't think that is going to happen with Saudi League I, I see this being a potential problem for, for MLS in some ways but it depends obviously a lot of folk want to see these big name players come and play over here I don't really care as much about that I just want to see some good football and some decent teams and the younger guys coming over. And like if if you look at some players that's lit up in the in the league that you would never have heard of and they wouldn't probably be on the Saudi radar. So you've still got that aspect of it. I think it is definitely yeah. a challenge to MLS. I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon. I worry that they're going to end up just buying too many players because that. I can't remember what club it was, but they signed Jota from Celtic. And then oh, yeah. it's like, oh, we've signed all these other players. We haven't got room for Jota anymore. We're going to loan him out. And it's like, well, at least let him stay with Celtic. Don't just, like, take him out I, of a club and then... They have too many... Like, is there a limit? Like, that yeah. was one of the, Well, there is a limit. Because yeah. that was one of the issues in China, right? It seemed like the... The I don't know the Chinese I, I don't know all the details so I might be yeah that was the big issue there as well the, the, the Chinese FA was not in line with the desires of the Chinese Super League or whatever or the owners or individual clubs or whatever who wanted to spend freely and bring as many foreigners as they as the, as they their budgets would allow, um, and so there was yeah so yeah you had I, play, you, had, you had clubs who signed four players it was like like Matias Slava with the DP situation in Toronto where you had clubs who had too many and they had to get rid of they had to get rid of some players right and then they had yeah. they brought some guys who didn't perform and you know and whatever I, I remember this Chinese Super League one of the crazy things was I think I've told this on the show before but Daniel Pranich a Croatian left back who was at Bayern circa 2013-ish or 2012 2013 2014 whatever he left Bayern to go there to make like crazy money uh, and it was just like I remember buying supporters telling me like his whole house was paid for, uh, his he had twenty four hours uh, car service like a limo. Yeah. Well, Freddie had, Montero yeah. was there as well, yeah. and he had all this stuff. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. About, I forgot about that. Well, but, it's like if you look at the Saudi league because Jordan Henderson's gone there. Yeah, which is interesting. A, yeah, he's had a lot of flack because he's always been a a big support and a big ally to the LGBT plus community. Yeah, and he sort of almost came out against the league, uh, 
about it before or something, yeah. right? Yeah, and now he's being accused of double standards because he said that, that this is setting his family up for life, this move, mm-hmm. and that he can push for change within the country and folk are like, well, no, you can't. You're just saying that and you're just going where the money's taking you. And I see both sides to it, but it's like if someone's throwing that kind of money at you and it is life-changing money and it can set your family up for life, it's a hard thing to turn down. I don't necessarily like that, but at the same time, if the Saudis came to us and said, oh, we we want to give you all this money for the podcast if you do a section on the Saudi league, I'd be like, okay. I've I've no scruples. I, I mean with I mean with uh Henderson though uh I I don't I don't um I don't think it's invalid for him to say, hey, I'm going to try and promote my beliefs, my worldview, my values, whatever. I think it's um He's naive. also come out and said though, I'm not gonna wear like a, a an armband that is offensive in the country. Right, but like I, I, well, that's the thing. I was gonna say I don't think, I don't think it's uh, realistic to claim you're going to make social change as one, you know, thirty-something-year-old English yeah. footballer in uh in 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 the nation of Saudi Arabia. I think that's naive or foolish or idealistic or how, you know however you want to frame that. I, I I I I would agree with you in terms of you there. You can understand why he would want to be able to take care of his family financially for the foreseeable future or the rest of his life or, or whatever. Um, I think people can understand it, even if they would disagree with it. Um, but yeah, it is, it, it is, it's an, it's an interesting new, new development. Well, so what is the number? It, it must be five or six. Like, cause I've seen a team play and they've got like five guys who I'm like, these are all former like European players. Yeah, I don't know offhand what it is. I just okay. know that Jota was surplus to requirements because they're the players they brought in. But I'm of course, they're sure all owned seen... by the government who can then put Mora. them in whatever club and stuff. It's... Right. I've seen Jota play, I'm pretty sure, at least once. He was such a great player with Celtic. And of course, no, like I saw him play in the song. Saudi League. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I think things have worked out and he might not be getting loaned out. I haven't seen any of it yet. I should check it out um, and and make a, a an opinion based on on what I'm seeing. One of the things that I didn't like, which has been kind of shot down, but I can definitely see this happening, is there have been lots of murmurs that the Saudis wanted to have a team or teams in the revamped UEFA Champions League, because from next season. The Champion League is going to the kind of league system. There's 36 clubs. They're not all going to be playing each other. You're going to just play certain number of teams and et cetera, et cetera. So there was a lot of talk that the Saudis wanted some teams in this new expanded uh, Champions League. And it was believed that executives from some of the leading sides in Europe as well were keen to to have these involved because of the players that were involved, etc., etc. That seems to have been shot down by the European Club Association chairman, Nasser Al-Khilafi, who said, no, he didn't see that happening because they want to have more European teams at the top level. So why would you let a team in from Saudi? He didn't rule it out that if there was a Super Cup that something could happen like that. And of course, you've got the expanded Club World Cup that is 
going to be coming out, and there's 32 clubs in that from 2025. But to bring that back round to, to MLS, I don't know if you saw that Copa Libertadores, which I've just murdered saying that, but they want into Miami to go and play <laughs> in the Copa because they want Messi. I, I had not seen that. <laughs> and it's like, interesting. And I think, I mean, I've heard come the ball, they've seen the success of the League's Cup. Mm. And they're like, we want a piece of that. But it's also, I mean, success of the Leeds Cup, like it it's the first time uh you had it this the second the second half of it or whatever bolstered by the arrival of Messi. You had the opposite of what happens in the I guess now technically formerly named CONCACAF Champions League, uh, or now the CONCACAF Champions Cup or whatever it's called. Um you saw the opposite effect happen, right? So in the in the CONCACAF Champions League, you see all the Mexican teams dominate because they're in midseason form. You see the MLS team struggle because they're in preseason form. Yeah. You saw that play out in the League's Cup where the the Mexican teams are, is it between the Aperture and Clazer yeah. or whatever? And so they're not informed. And uh, and I guess the money on, on, on offer was not, you know, meaningful for them. And all the games were, none of them, they didn't have a single home game in any of their stadiums to have home field advantage. Yeah. There was not that competitive advantage. And so it was like, it's to me a very, I understand the significance of it. I know there's Champions League births. Uh, I know the, the pot of money uh, is, is enough to make uh, clubs be excited. But um, it it feels like a, like a competition that's still finding its footing. Uh, as much as I don't personally don't like it, I understand why it's there. I don't see it stopping anytime soon. But to so quickly adjust it to or augment it, or maybe to have it Im- impact some of these other competitions. It, it, you, you figure it got to ha- we'd have to go for like three or four or five years before we are like, oh yeah, we should augment this in a... I I guess- get, get rid of MLS and just have this for the whole season. Amalgamate the leagues, it'd be fantastic. Like, my, my dream for the League's Cup would be groups of four with one Western, one Eastern and one Mexican in every group, and then the fourth team just regional or whatever put in. But yeah. then you've got like opposition that you're not playing regularly. And I know it was all for travel and stuff like that, but you want to make it fresh. The ultimate dream is then add a South American club in as the, the fourth team in a group. That would just be amazing. But Michael, you, you're talking about if you did that holistically, that became the new like whatever uh, North American league structure for MLS and and Liga MX. Um, you, then you're also talking about like wasn't or, 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 I guess maybe I should frame my, my question this way: are, Do you think that MLS is beyond the issues that they had with travel when the Whitecaps joined the league, where they're like, hey, this is too much. It's not good financially. It's not good competitively. Yeah. I mean, that, that travel's always going to be the tough thing. Because you're running into a new set of problems. I, I can't... On old issues. I looked at some sites this afternoon as to, like, I was looking at the form. And it also had, I think it was the one that I went on that had the last six games. It shows you what travel the teams have had as well. Mm-hmm. And, oh, boy, <laughs> you look at the Whitecaps travel compared to some of the rest, and it's like, it's not easy. And for the Mexican teams as well, obviously... Yeah. They're just traveling constantly. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to get worked out. I I don't, like, going back to the, the Saudi thing, I wouldn't want to see Saudi teams in the Champions League. Just like I wouldn't want to see South American teams in the CONCACAF Champions League. 
Yeah. But if you have a separate competition, I, I wouldn't mind that. But then, of course, you've got the Club World Cup, so who knows? I, I just think football is definitely going to be changing and the landscape in 10 years it's going to be, it's going to be oh, it's uh, might not be for the better. It's going to be better for the big clubs, I'm sure, and the TV companies, but for supporters of, like, the Whitecaps, Vancouver FC or whatever, it's going to feel like a whole alien concept at the top end of the game. Anyway, that is it for our MLS chat for this part. We're going to bring you our feature interview in the next part. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our new Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of September from Dublin in Ireland, post-punk band Fontaine's DC. And kicking off their residency for this month is the lead single, from their latest album, which was released in April 2022, Skinty Fear, the band's third studio album. That song was called Jackie Down the Line. And it's a great band that I've got in store for you this month. They've got three albums, they've got a string of good singles out. They're actually coming to play in Vancouver later this month. They're supporting the Arctic Monkeys up at the PE Forum on the 23rd of September, Saturday night. I'm gutted I can't make it along to that gig, two of my favourite bands. Although the Arctic Monkeys aren't the best live, it has to be said, but 
haven't had a chance to see Fontaine's DC live, um, they are the support band. So if you fancy a good night out, get along, get your tickets for that. I am unfortunately commentating, well, fortunately, commentating up at UBC that night. But it should be a fantastic gig. So we'll bring you a number of their songs over the month from the band themselves and also some of the solo stuff from lead singer Grian Chatton, who had his debut solo album out earlier this year. Check them out on all the usual places, Fontaine's DC. There's also a football connection with the band. They were the shirt sponsors for Bohemians FC, a Dublin football club. Uh, it's a, a special charity sponsorship to raise money for like homelessness and a group that deals with that. That is a, a strip that has been on my radar for a while that I really want to, to pick up. And unfortunately, they ship by DHL and anything that's shipped here from DHL gets hit with a lot of customs fees. So I've not got that yet. I talked about this on an earlier show. I really need to get it sent to one of my, my pals in Scotland and get them to send it over. But yeah, nice football connection from them as well. Go check out Fontaine's DC, AFTN's new Artists of the Month. So back to the football chat now, and it's time for this episode's feature interview. There's been a couple of exciting additions this season to the, the Whitecaps roster, and of course, in the the summer transfer window, we bid farewell to Julian Gressel, but in his place came two exciting Canadian talents, Sam Arakugbe, Richie Larea. We'll bring you interviews with both of them over the, the next couple of shows, but I got a chance to sit down with Sam to chat about his, his move to Vancouver and just coming back to the club where it all started from, and he's had a very exciting career in his time away as well. He's played over in Turkey, obviously went through a lot of tragedy there as well with the earthquake, but that led to some good times as well and winning a Super League title with Galatasaray. He's seen time over in England. He's been in Scandinavia. A lot to talk about. Also played at the World Cup. A dream come true for any national team player as well. So go stick the kettle on, grab your biscuit of choice and enjoy our chat with Sam Adekupi. Sam, back in Vancouver, does it feel a little bit weird coming back or does it feel like you've never really been away? No, it definitely feels weird. Um, a lot has changed, you know, faces in the club, players that I've played with, you know. Um, so it's obviously very nice to be back, but it does still feel a little bit strange because when I'm usually here the last seven, eight years, I'm mostly here for vacation. So it's a different, like, you know, I guess mindset switch just coming back and realizing that I'm living here full time and playing professional soccer here. So it's good, but yeah, it's been a, it's been an adjustment. When you were last here, there was, I don't think the training center had been finished. Obviously you've been back with Canada and stuff, yeah. but like, does the whole club feel different? I don't want to say more professional, but does it feel more akin to what you've experienced say, over in Europe? Yeah, definitely. Um, so when I was last playing with the club, I think they just built the facility. So I remember doing the walkthrough with the with the with the hats on, just kind of you know um, getting used to the place. So I was never actually training in here, but 
throughout the time I've been away from the club, I, I found myself just training here in the off season, you know, maybe later in the evenings or early in the morning, um, which was kind of fortunate just because my girlfriend lives down the street, just outside UBC. So it was, it was convenient for me, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it I wouldn't be naive to say that it does feel more professional just because they have their own, you know, performance center with their own training, with their own training ground and with the, with the, like the, the necessary requirements, like, you know, the hot tub, the gym, the cold tub, access to two grass pitches full time. And, you know, um, so it, it's definitely nice in a, a full time cafeteria and things like that. Mm. So it, it does bring that professional atmosphere. Um, but I think that's just part of being playing in a professional club. You know, I think it, these things should be normal and not should be looked upon as like, a, you know, a positive, for example logistically I mean having your girlfriend here obviously helps but like logistically coming back over from from Europe I know what it was like when I moved over from Europe everything that you have mm. to do when you first get here mm. but has it been tricky to kind of get settled in when you've been away on the road as much as you have no of course um I still don't feel settled in yet if I'm being honest um just because like you said we're on the road so quickly and yeah, we did have a two-week break when me and Richie first came in, so it was a bit of a training time, but also during that process, you're looking for places. I mean, we all know Vancouver is very expensive, and then you head out on the road, and then you come back, and then you're looking for furniture, and then you're still looking for place to stay and things of that nature. So, yeah, I haven't fully settled in um, off the pitch and on the pitch, I can say honestly, but, you know, that's, that's part of the process, you know, um, and the team is still in a good moment, I believe, you know, of, of course it was unfortunate not to win the San Jose game, but, you know, we've now gone three games on the road um, without losing and gaining a lot of points. And like I said, when I first came here, I think the club was heading in the right direction. And um, that's something I wanted to bring just a competitive mentality. And it's not about, you know, being good or um, getting results. It's about winning games. We were talking on our show, because obviously we've known you for so long now. When I was announced you were coming back and I saw the press release, I couldn't believe you were 28. It's like, yeah. it just feels the time's flown by because we still remember you coming through and, and everything like that. Obviously, we won't talk too much about your first spell here because a lot's mm -hmm. changed since then. Mm -hmm. But is it fair to say you wouldn't be the player and the man that you are now if you'd stayed here and like getting away was probably the best thing for your career. Yeah, I think most definitely. Um, I think like, I guess it's a, it's a difficult question, but yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, like I've been in Europe now the last, I don't know, seven, eight years and it's almost, almost 300 appearances and having the opportunity to play in the world cup and playing in nations league and playing, playing European competitions and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of just helped me grow as a person and as a player, you know, playing in different countries and experiencing different cultures. So I think that also all ties into the experience that I have now and, you know, seeing many different coaches, many different playing styles. And I think that all that's been an influence on my career. I think that if we're being honest, my career really ticked on when I left the Whitecaps back then, you know, and I don't think that's uh, something that's, that's not obvious you know um and that's that's no blame on the white caps and there's no blame on myself you know it's just you know um sometimes change is good and that's why people always recommend it you know and i think in hindsight it's obviously the best thing i did for my career but 
who's to say that if I stayed here, I would, I would be in the same situation, you know, it's, um, you can't really predict what would have happened in the past, but I don't regret leaving the club when I did. Yeah, uh, we last talked on the podcast when you left for Brighton, and <laughs> and as you said, and as we all know, a lot has happened in your your life and your footballing career since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first the first, uh, first off, you went uh, did some spells in Scandinavia. You spent time at mm-hmm. Gothenburg in Sweden, and then of course mm-hmm. at the old club Velarenga in mm-hmm. North. Just wondering if you could share a little bit about how you enjoyed your time in Scandinavia. Yeah, I think Scandinavia is probably one of the best things for my career. Um, I think it's just because it's not watched a lot in North America, people don't really understand the actual quality of football that's played in Scandinavia. Um, I always explain to people there's a pipeline in football. You know, you probably have the best four tiers in the world. You know, the England, the Spain, the Germany, the um, what else am I missing? Uh, France or whatever. And then, you know, and then underneath that, you have the Belgium, the Holland, the Scandinavia. And through that pipeline, players are getting pushed into those top leagues you know you see a lot of Scandinavian players moving into Belgium into France you're seeing some of them move directly to the Premier League so it's a it's a it's definitely in a, a very good place for players to progress in their career you know like if you look at Atiba from uh, like a standpoint of 25 years ago you know that's where he kicked off from his career um I can say probably that's where I kicked on from my career and I'm hoping the same with people like Derek Cornelius like Jaden Nelson you know Derek's, Derek's playing in a very, very big club in Malmo in Sweden, which is the, probably the biggest club there. And he's going to have that experience of, you know, ultra fans and uh, the man to win games. And, you know, you gain all these experiences and I enjoyed it completely. And it's the same thing when I went to Volarenga as well. It's a big club. It's over 100 years old. It's in the capital of the of the uh, of the country. And it's the same thing. You know, their fans are aggressive. They demand performance and you know, my coach there was Ronnie Dyla, who was also a champion there, was a champion in Celtic and a champion in New York as well. And we all came together. Um, players kicked on to France. Some players kicked on to Belgium. You know, some went directly to to um, to England as well. And it just goes to show that the quality of football that is played in Scandinavia and it's a pipeline for players wanting to play at a higher level because, you know, in, in, in those in those in those leagues you know they depend on transfers for the growth of their club you know it's um and there's also a relegation and uh promotion you know so if teams aren't doing well they're not producing players and the clubs actually tend to struggle for uh, over a period of years you know that's why you see teams like Molde and Malmo doing well and Copenhagen doing well so continuously because they're selling players and they're also you know, getting financial support by, you know, being able to compete in the Europa League and the Champions League. And that money that they get into those clubs helps to, you know, bring in quality players, bring in young quality players and then sell them. And ultimately, you know, the club grows, the the fan base grows and good things happen. So, no, Scandinavia is definitely a hotbed for talent, a hotbed for if you wanted to play regular football. It's not easy. People think that it's... um, just because it's not France or Belgium or, you know, top league in the world that it's a, that it's easy, but it, it's not, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. I went, I went to go play there. Yeah. I was, I was so excited when I saw you going to Velaringa because I knew the culture of the fans and yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of positives there and I was really excited for, for yeah. you and excited about how that turned out for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you then of course got your move to Turkey in the summer of 2020 with how to spore. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
all come about? Uh, did um, did you connect with the Tiba on talking about you know Turkey as a country and as a, as a league and, and that kind of stuff? Well, how did that happen? Yeah, definitely. I um, I spoke with the coach actually and the sporting director at the time, and I was ready for a new challenge. You know, I enjoyed my time in Scandinavia, um, and I was ready to try something different. And Turkey came about, and it, I just it wasn't something I could really say no to. You know, it's it's a very competitive league. Um, I would say it's quite similar to MLS, actually. Um, um, but yeah, I did speak to Atiba. I did speak to Kyle. And they emphasize the quality in the, in the league. You know, if you look at, for example, Galatas right now, the transfers they've made. If you look at Besiktas, you know, a lot of these teams are bringing in good quality players from Belgium, from Italy, from France, you know, because they're able to compete financially with some of the best clubs in the world. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a, a very good league. And it's... It's uh, something I really enjoy going to and also having the opportunity to play in Galatasaray. That it's like something I will uh, I will never forget because people don't understand the actual you talk about like experiences and you also talk about, you know, playing with passion and, you know, the demand to play at a high level. That's that. That's what Galatasaray is all about. You know, um, they demand winning. They demand they demand uh, entertaining football, and if it's if you're not playing well, they will boo you off the field within ten minutes. You know, so that that culture was something I really, really loved, and obviously winning the trophy with them was, you know, the cherry on the cake, and it's some of the memories I will never forget. Yeah, I mean, lifting that championship, especially after everything that that you'd gone through, it must have been magnificent. Obviously, a bit bittersweet as well. Mm. Won't talk to you too much about the tragedy because I know it's a very personal thing for you but I've been to Turkey I, I know what the people are like there they're so friendly they're so hospitable I thought it was a lovely country mm-hmm. to, to have something like that happen did it kind of just make you think as much as I love this I just kind of want to get home now yeah, definitely. I mean, especially after the earthquake, that kind of fast forward things in my in my mind, if I'm being honest. Um, um, but it just makes you appreciate the small things, you know, your family, your close, your loved ones and things of that nature. But yeah, it was definitely a, an unforgettable experience and an unforgettable moment for the country. But most definitely. But, you know, like, like, I guess it's important to emphasize that like I didn't I didn't come back to Vancouver just because of what I experienced in mm. the earthquake you know I still had opportunities to stay abroad I came back because I believed in the team and then I believed in the club at this moment you know and I kind of and I came back with a not necessarily a chip on my shoulder but with an experience that I've gained from playing in Europe to come and help the club go to the next level you know um that was very important for me but of course, it does get tied into the fact of what I did experience in Turkey. And it's obviously something that was very unforgettable, but yeah, it's, it was very sad, of course, you know, um, and some people are still struggling and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's tough, but it, it wasn't the main reason why I came back to Vancouver. Let, let's, uh, let's focus on, on Canada for, for, for a little bit. Um, uh, it's been you've been involved in an incredibly interesting time for the national team on the men's side um, with uh, some historic things happening and taking place or whatever. I want to key in maybe on a couple of highlight moments or significant moments. Um, I, I, I was a privilege for me. I got to be in Edmonton for the two games in Edmonton mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, against Mexico and Costa Rica. 
um, so one one thing, the, the Mexico game, uh, there are there are moments in Canadian history that will never be forgotten and will will stand out for what they were and how they played out. So one one of the things was we want to talk about a little bit is your your jump in the snow. Like it's it's an iconic moment that I think we'll we'll see played for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, did you plan that? Was it just like in the moment? Like um, how the how did that happen? No, it was definitely just in the moment. You know, it's. Um... I was lucky enough to play in front of like sixty thousand people in a in the city that's very close to where my family are living, and all my friends were able to come down. And it was it was an important moment in the qualification campaign as well because you know it's important to take as much points as you can from the big teams. You know the Mexicos, the U.S. is the Costa Ricas, and you know the game was obviously a difficult game. We didn't play the prettiest game, but the passion and the energy that we had to just to just to win the game it was something that really drove that factor for me and also just being in the moment and enjoying that and scoring the second goal you know that you can just feel the stadium erupt and you can just feel you can just feel that the tension in the stadium and, and it was you can see like I was like people always talk about like the celebration but if you look even more closely you should look at the celebration of the players you know when when Kyle scored if you can just see how everyone is is so ec- ecstatic and just so happy because it's an important goal for the campaign. You know, it was the it was the winning it was the winning goal. You know, and so I was just in the moment and I was so happy. You know, it's an important game and we're playing well and we're winning and I'm playing in front of my family and friends and it was almost just a, like a release of energy. You know, I just couldn't like I, I uh, couldn't contain my excitement and then you know I just see the snowbank and I dove into it and. Uh, I actually wasn't expecting to be on camera because I thought, you know, everyone is obviously down in the corner celebrating. And then I guess somebody picked it up and then uh, one of my teammates told me in the locker room. And then from then on, like, you know, <laughs> so it goes. <laughs> yeah, it, it will never be forgotten. And speaking of uh, celebrations and moments that will never be forgotten, I also had the privilege to be with the Voyagers in, in Hamilton for the game against the U.S. So, you know, uh, after beating Mexico, after beating Costa Rica, mm-hmm. Are continuing to maintain the, the top spot mm-hmm. in the qualification table, uh, you had another incredible, incredible moment with the the second goal against the U.S. with, again, another iconic celebration. Uh, if you could just talk about what that meant to you, the goal, the celebration, the moment. Um, yeah, walk us through that. Yeah, it was... Um... It was amazing because it was my second professional goal, you know, um, and um, it was a good goal. But most importantly, it was just the way the game was going. It was so tight and, you know, anything could have happened in that game. Like, you know, we played well, the U.S. played well and the tensions were high and, you know, I was deep into stoppage time and, you know, and I was able to just go up the pitch and score. And then I just I spoke to my brother about doing that celebration the night before. And, you know, that's the first thing I remembered. And then, you know, just just hearing like the stadium erupt into loud into loud noise when I scored it was just something I will never forget because it was almost like as if it was a sigh of relief that we really are going to a world cup you know I think that was like one of the important times when the the nation started to realize like we are we are almost there you know and obviously it's against a rival in the U.S. and we want to beat them and that all that that felt really good but you know this just being able to like you know uh, I guess close my eyes and just feel the whole stadium going crazy and just feel that energy and really like, you know, really just really just take it in. It was, you know, it was amazing. And it was just even better that I was able to, you know, speak with my brother the night before about it. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. That those games and, and a couple that followed it enabled Canada to return to the world cup after a 36 year absence. 
which was uh, amazing. I can't imagine what it was like for you as players, but yeah, talk about the dream of uh, living the dream of going to a world cup and the whole experience. And uh, yeah, what did that mean for you? And, and how did, how was it for you? How was the experience in Doha for you? It was amazing. You know, uh, even to this day, it's still hard to like, it's still like uh, just thinking about it. Like, you know, I was able to live one of my, you know, dreams as a footballer is unbelievable. And it was even better that my whole family was there, you know? So just you know coming out for the first game and seeing all the canadian fans i was i was actually quite surprised by how many canadian fans there were you know um before the kickoff and then you know just playing in the belgium game and just you know realizing that we're competing with some of the best players in the world and but also playing at the you know the most prestigious tournament in the whole world you know it was it was an unbelievable experience and it was just something that we really all tried to enjoy and embrace because we're finally here, you know, what's the point in getting there and not enjoying it and embracing it. But of course, on the football side, things didn't go well, but you know, it's a, it's the, it's a long, it's a long lasting imprint on my life and the life of many Canadians. You know, we were, a lot of the country was able to come together and see Canadian football. You know, you see people in school watching the games and all of all that nature. And so having the, having to experience that and be one of those players to be able to say that they played in the world cup and, you know, broadcast to a world cup is obviously something that I'll, that'll, I will never forget. And like I said before, you know, having my family, even having my family being there and so being supportive and also getting to enjoy it and enjoy the city was, was really nice. Yeah. Um, now te technically in the, in the end, it was given as an own goal, but what did it feel like to hear your name? announced in the stadium as, as scoring that goal against Morocco like was that honestly I honestly I could not hear it oh. uh, uh, the, Mor the Moroccan fans were loud yeah yeah <laughs> I think I think after playing I think like um I think Galatasaray is probably the loudest noises I've ever heard in a stadium but but second to that is the Morocco game because they had to qualify and you know Morocco's as their Arabic country and so is Qatar and so I think a lot of fans really came together to, to support Morocco and you know the noise in that stadium was deafening you know so I and I guess through the intensity of the match and you're in focus you can't really hear too much you know you can't really hear specific things but yeah it was my I mean my brother recorded it and he showed me after and that was and that was obviously cool to see but in that moment I was still just like it was still just embracing how loud the stadium was. It was just like, you know, it was cool. Yeah. The qualifying for the World Cup, getting the World Cup, playing there, obviously it's a, a combined like symbiotic effort between you as the players, mm -hmm. uh, the coaching staff. And we know that, uh, or as from outsiders, we see the, the positive things that happened over the World Cup qualifying campaign. And before that, uh, with John and his staff, um, John has obviously now left the post. Um, how shocking was that for you? Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on on how things look going forward? Yeah, I mean, it was sad, you know, of course. You know, John was a big, was very important for the national team, you know. Um, he's the one that first spoke about the World Cup before anybody was speaking about the World Cup. So it's obviously sad to lose an important person for the group and, and for the country as well. And um, it was just, it was obviously like a disappointing thing, but... People need to re remember that in football, it's not coaches don't stay around forever, you know. So 
I, like I said in the in 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 interview, maybe like a week ago when the news broke out, you know, I said, how many coaches do you see in world football that are staying in the position for more than six, seven years? You know, you can talk about Alex Ferguson. You can talk about Guardiola, David Moyes when he was at Everton and, and maybe one or two more, you know, uh, football things change, players change, adaptations occur. And, you know, John felt that it was best for his for him to uh, to try and try something else. He felt he felt how he felt. And, you know, we as players are disappointed, but we can I mean, I don't think it's fair for anyone, any one of us to judge him and say, you know, why is he doing this and why he's doing that? You know, I mean, like uh, not that life goes on, but things change over time, you know, and um. I think he did his job, you know. He took us to a goal. He took us to a Nations League final. Took us to a World Cup, and it's not his fault directly that we didn't we didn't do well in in either obstacle. You know, we're also as players are also involved. You know, so when well, that's why, like, I was a bit disappointed when I heard about you know um, tensions and losing players and things of that nature. This is this is professional football. It's impossible to keep 25 players happy for a continued period of more than five years. You know, um, it's, it, you don't see any team in the world where everyone is happy for, for, with everybody, you know, it's, uh, it's normal. You have clicks, you have groups, you have friends and that's it. And that's not to say that John was fighting with any, with any player. I, I, I didn't see that at any time in my, in my, in my experience with the national team. But when I just hear things about, um, oh, he lost the locker room and things of that nature. I mean, throughout the whole qualification on World Cup, the whole, everybody was printing and talking about the brotherhood of the team. And then when things, when he decides to leave, we're all talking about how he lost this and how he lost that. So which, which one is it? Did we have a brotherhood or did he lose the locker room? You know, um, so it's disappointing to hear those things, but honestly, when things change, there's always going to be people talking negatively or, pos- or positively about the experience. So that's what comes and goes with sports. But, you know, I, I mean, and I didn't play every single game under John, you know, and I'm, so I'm speaking from a player that was in and out when he, when he first came in and it was able to contribute continually, continuously throughout the end of it. So I've seen both sides of the perspective and, um, like I said, I wish him the best, and I and I'm happy for him. I think you know John loves projects. You know, the national team was a project, and TFC is going to be a big project. You know, but I think if he gets the right people around him, the right backing, and the right financial backings, I I think he'll be fine. You know, but uh, with with back to the national team, we're all disappointed. But you know, football change is necessary. I think if you look at like um, Guardiola, for example, with Manchester City, he hasn't kept the same group of players for over the five years. You know, so. If he's staying, you're seeing a lot of players in the team rotate because it needs that freshness. It needs something, you know, you can't always continue to motivate the same group of players for, you know, five to ten years. It's it's difficult, you know. So, yeah, I wish him the best and I hope he does really well even if he's coaching in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, this is an international window. You'd be expecting yeah. to, to be playing games. On the plus yeah. side, selfishly from a, a White Cats fan perspective, Gives you a little break between this big road stretch. Gives you a time yeah. to get settled in off the pitch and everything as well. With everything that's been happening off the pitch, and I know you can't say too much about stuff, but how frustrating has it been for you personally and how unsettling has it been to have all this drama off the pitch playing out the way it has? Uh, with concerns with the national team? Or... Yeah, sorry, with the national team and like contracts and everything getting played out in the media and I mean it yeah, must be frustrating it, and unsettling at the same time 
Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, at first we're footballers and all we want to do is play football, you know, but we're in a position now with the with the players with the players union where we're looking to create change within the program and sometimes things are not going to be smooth sailing and it's going to be you know um barriers or things to get over but you know we're, we're we still remain positive of course we want to we wish to be playing in this in this window but this is where we're at and we can't change it and it it's disappointed it is dragging out its feet because you know at the end of the day we just, we still have a we still have a a Copa America, a Gold Cup, uh, a Nations League, a World Cup yeah. in this next cycle. So it's important to play as many games against a better, uh, um, better opposition as much as possible. And losing this chance is obviously a, is a big disappointment. I can speak for the players in saying that. Um, but we know at the same time that we want to create change within the program, and sometimes it's not going to be perfect. And this is where we're at now, and that's it's it's obviously sad and disappointing. We're at this uh, at this junction. I, I can think I think I can be honest and say that nobody wants to be at this situation, but this is where we're at, and it's you know how quickly can we move on from it? And you know I think the union and the reps are doing the right things, and hopefully the CSA are doing the right things to come to an agreement fast. Just to round off with a question about the Whitecaps, I mean, you talked about how good this team is and like the the potential that this has. You've seen it in these games. Having yourself and Richie on the wings, it's causing a lot of problems for teams. Having two players up front, a lot of teams are struggling with how to how to deal with that as well. How good can this team be this season? Honestly, I don't. I don't think we have a ceiling. You know. Um... But I haven't seen all the teams play in the league, so I couldn't yeah. give you like a you know full synopsis of how we can do. But you know, judging by the games we played and um, and just seeing the quality in the training sessions, I I think we can do a lot. You know, I mean, we have a good team, and we're not fully settled in yet. The mm-hmm. whole you know it's two new additions. Um, some like I I I need a bit more time than Richard does, for example. Um, and that's part of the game, but you know, just in little glimpses, you can see that we've done, we played some really good football, and that other times we've showed a lot of character, you know. And I think in football, you need to, you can't always play the perfect game, but it's important to pick up points. And I think, you know, you can talk about San Jose, we played really well, but we lost, you know. In Portland, we played really well for two thirds of the game, and it got a little bit sticky towards the end, but we were able to get the result, you know. And Chicago, same thing. New York was obviously a difficult game, difficult pitch, difficult, you know, three games on the road could happen to the East Coast. But, you know, we're in a we're in a good moment and we haven't we haven't reached our peak yet, I can say, you know, in terms of like the whole team um, with all the new players coming in and things of that nature. Right. So I think we can do a lot, but we just have to follow the process, take it game by game. We're still in the middle of uh, the seven game away uh, away um, trip. So. It's still not going to be easy, but we're off to a good start. And if we can just continue and um, take it game by game, we'll be in a good position heading into the playoffs. And I, I firmly believe in that. That's 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 why I came. That's why Richie came. You know, um, I'm sure Richie will enjoy being in Toronto next week. Uh, that'll be cool. But yeah, I mean, I, we're we're looking forward to it. And also at the same time, we have a lot of young players with a lot of experience. You know, um, when I found that I was one of the older players on the team, I was yeah. a little bit shocked. You know, but. People like uh, Tristan, you know, who's played in L.A. and he's done well. Ranko has a lot of experience. Um, uh, Pedro has a lot of experience. You know, a lot of these players have a lot of experiences come from different clubs, from different countries. And having that experience as a young player and having that energy as a young player still, it, it gives us a lot to do going forward. 
Well, we're excited for what lies in store. Delighted to have you back here, Sam. And take care. Talk soon. Bye. Sam Ira be there. Delighted to be back in Vancouver. We're delighted to have him here in Vancouver, of course. And he, he's had a, a great start to season. Still managing his minutes, getting him up to full fitness. But, I mean, we've seen just in the glimpses that when him and Richie Larea has be, been on the pitch at the same time, Zach, just what they can mean to this team going forward, not just this season, but for hopefully many seasons to come. Yeah, for sure. They've definitely had uh, both individually and I think together had some like really great flashes and you can see what they add. Um, I've seen, I'm sure you've seen this in, in certain places, certain circles. I've seen some criticism of like, oh, like he's, uh, they expected more from Sam already. And I'm just like, that's like slow. Well, I haven't seen that, but that's I've, crazy. I've seen, in, in a couple of different places, I've seen people question what he's like, contributed so far they maybe thought more i think part of it has to do with you know not playing every minute since he's been here kind of thing and um and whatever but uh no i i'm i'm really happy for sam and uh i think that uh this can be a really a positive move in in his footballing career i mean he's already won one trophy so yeah i mean fantastic he equal this time in turkey i think <laughs> It was on the same level, right? The Cascadia Cup and the Turkish Yeah. League. I mentioned this on the show before. I can't believe he's 28. Yeah, that is weird because, like we've said before, I, like, I remember him in the U15s. Yeah. When he was like 13 or 14 or whatever. It's just and so weird to think of him as a 28-year-old. It's so weird to think that that was 15 years ago. Oh, I hadn't, I hadn't even put it in those terms, but yeah. Jeez. And but, he, he was one of the players, though. I remember when, when we saw him at that age. You're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. He, he, he's gonna make he's gonna make some he's gonna make some contributions. Uh, you know, as he as he continues to progress, and and he has, and he continues to do so, which is exciting. And yeah, just the last thing I say on this, it's like what what we've seen already. This this formation that the Whitecaps are going for, it's it's causing problems to teams. Because the mm-hmm. two up front, for one thing, causes problems because yeah. so many teams can't handle two strikers these days. But to have that pace on either side, and yeah. then when you also factor in sometimes Ali in the middle of the park, yes, th- this is a handful for any team. Yeah, I think and that's a better, lot to be excited about. They're they're better with Ali in the middle, I think, um, like in the current with the current options. Yeah, um, because he also brings not not just pace but but creativity. I think more so than some of the other people that that share that role with him. Um, yeah, I mean, when it comes to Sam, I, I, I think we've seen the highs and the lows of him um, and just excited to see some more highs. I mean, my my favorite Sam moment that I got to experience firsthand was was that goal against the U.S. in Hamilton. That was that was that was dreamy, man. Like that was that was incredible. I mean, the I- iconic snow dive. That's oh, yeah, I was get, there for that, too. That's yeah. going to get played for years and years yeah. and years as well. Totally. Oh, that yeah, and even his celebration of the American goal with like the the meditation, the saying with the meditation pose, so so good, Fantastic. so good. So great to have Sam back in Vancouver. Can't wait to see what he does for the rest of the season. That's it for our Whitecaps chat. We're going to be turning our attention to the CPL next. It wasn't a good weekend for Zach's Vancouver FC. 
say that most weeks when we do the podcast. But we'll also round up the rest of the action in the CPL and there's some big news coming out of the Prairies this weekend in the CPL. We'll be back chatting about all of that after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Gold and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. I told you I do It's all I've ever felt I've never felt so well And if you don't know it I wrote you this tune To be here loving you When I'm in the tune I've headed the heart Now from Dublin to Paris And if there was sunshine It was never on me So close the rain So pronounced is the Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's another song from our new Artist of the Month for September here at AFTN, Fontaine's DC. Another song from their third album from last year, Skinty Fia, the song I Love You. We know what you love, Zach. My wife? Jesus? Vancouver FC, I was going to say. Oh, there you go. But you're not one of those fans that have a sign that says Vancouver FC, Jesus, my wife, in that order. No, definitely not. Well, let's talk CPL in this <laughs> that part. That sounds good. Your boys lost again. Yeah. And the way that it was playing out, I think losing just 3-0 was good at the end of the day because that could have got out of hand. You know what? This was a game kind of like, uh, what was the other game uh, we talked about earlier? Oh, the LAFC Inter-Miami game. The mm. games were not the same in terms of, you know, the players <laughs> playing and, and whatever. You didn't but, have the same chances LAFC had. No, but no, what I was going to say was when I watched back the highlights later that night or the next day at home, I was just like, we actually had some quality yeah, chances. Yeah, you had, you had some good chances. That, that I say you, had, it's like Vancouver FC. Yeah, if we had taken them... Uh, it would have been obviously a, a, a different match, and so I felt, uh, in one sense, I felt a little not as bad about the about the game as as I did at certain moments in the stadium. Now I think many people in the stadium were just frustrated because it felt like after going one nil down to uh, Passius's uh, head nicely headed goal, uh, it felt like for some people uh, I didn't totally feel this way, but I know some people did. Like heads went down, and there was kind of like a like a, a lack of uh, a will to fight back, maybe a little bit. I would say that um, I felt like the second goal 
the penalty was it was called on the other side of the field. It was a little bit harsh. We were getting word in the ground like, oh, I wasn't nowhere near a penalty. I've watched the limited replays afterwards and thought it could have gone either way. We've had worse calls against us for penalties and other things this season. Yeah. I, I thought it was a penalty. But... Well, there you go. So Passio scores that. Um, he, he gets the third. I was more annoyed, and even on the re- even on the replay, it's it's not uh, again not as harsh as whatever. But in the stadium, we should have had a penalty at the end of the game. It was a clear handball. Yeah, uh, you could say how close is his hand, how um, natural position, blah blah blah. I, what I will say is this: is that we keep getting told by multiple sources that uh, that the at the next whatever CPL owners gathering that they are talking about how you know what does var light look like and how can they make that happen whether that will get done in time for this season or the postseason or next season or whatever you know just issue, i forget i think it's just issues around the penalty box or whatever or just things involving penalties or whatever um like we've seen in different leagues who maybe couldn't implement it fully um it would be something along those lines because um it's not just you know rob friend and, and the ownership of vancouver fc who are frustrated but there is significant frustration throughout the league at the lack of growth in the um, when it comes to the, the officiating, I will say this in case people forget or don't know that the CPL does not control the officials. They don't uh, they don't control the body governing the officials. That's controlled by the CSA. Yeah, uh, as you know, Michael, uh, I was at the match um, on Sunday with our good friend, um, friend of the show, uh, Chris Harrop, who is uh, done a number of um, games. He's, he's uh, one of them. Yeah, well, he's done a number of games for uh, MLS Next Pro as an AR and is on the list for CPL. He hasn't been called into action yet, but he was there. And Bob from the CSA, I forget Bob's last name. He remember Jim, Bob? You remember the guy who I booed that one time at the media day? Like oh yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I forget his last name. I should know his last name. Anyways, he was there and he was doing like an like evaluating the referee. Now they evaluate the referees all the time, but it was yeah. like. Oh, yeah, they do it at League One and VMSL games and stuff. Yeah, so he was doing it. He had this headset. He had this thing. He was capturing. They were doing all the stuff, and Chris had to go and help him out with all that before the game. Um, but uh, it, it, as much as there are a number of things that the CPL needs to improve at, that is one of the things that I think uh, stands out very significantly that needs to be improved for the league uh, as, a, as a whole. Yeah, it, it has to. Like Halifax have had some horrible calls oh, yeah. against them this year as well. But we're not saying this to pile on the referees. This is to help the no. referees and to get no. them to be better. And it takes the pressure off them as well. But it also goes back to other discussions that we've had about funding in Canada soccer. Yeah. And my point of, look, if you give all the national team players all the money they want, where's this other money coming from to pay for the likes of referee development, coaches development, because that's as important as all everything else. And it's like the game's not going to get better if the refereeing doesn't get better. It has to come. They have to do something. And I know it's not a cheap option. I mean, the cheap option would be they just have us watching the games and we make the calls. Okay, did I see Ishmael Elfath refereeing a game in the Saudi League? Yes. Yes, he so, was. Okay, so what? how did that happen? I have no idea. I can't remember where I saw it because I haven't seen any Saudi he, games. He, he, I must have seen a clip of it or something. Yeah, because Ronaldo was mad at him. He didn't get a he didn't get a call or he gave a call against him. I think for a, a foul. Oh, it might have been that. 
in, I, I until, think it might have been something on Twitter that I saw, and I was like, that's Kirk, Kirk and I saw it, and I said, that's Ishmael Alfat. Yeah. I looked it up, and I was like, that's Ishmael Alfat. Um, so, but like, that's what I mean. Like, so how they're, I mean, and MLS has done it right with one or two refs before bringing mm-hmm. them in from like England. Uh, what was the guy's name? The bald guy. Was it the bald guy? No, oh, Howard no. Webb. No, no. He was oh. the pro guy. Oh, there was yeah. a referee. The guy who was actually on the pitch. who was an English guy. Oh, yes. I, Alan I know Chapman. Of, yes. Alan Chapman. Right. So like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously we have. Yeah, like you said, so something needs to be yeah. done. And I, in and I in Scotland, with... one year the refs went on strike. This isn't a joke. This is true. So they went on strike. So the SFA brought in referees from Ireland, and they were much better. And everyone's like, "Can we just keep these guys?" And what happened? Did they keep them? No, we went back to our old refs. But Ooh. yeah, yeah, they need they need to improve it. And I mean, come the end of the season. Martin Noonan will have his media address. So, I mean, that's certainly something I want to ask during that if no one else has. By the time I get to ask a question, it's it, it definitely needs to come. The coaches definitely want it as well. Yeah. So, Hamilton or Forge FC goes on to win uh, 3-0, convincing victory. Passius with a hat-trick. Uh, like I said, Vancouver with a, at least a hat-trick of missed quality opportunities. Um, you say so that, we, but there was one shot on target for Vancouver FC. Oh yeah, the, some of the chances that were quality they missed, they actually missed the net. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you're not familiar with that, but sometimes a player will miss the whole goal, and it's a quality I'm just opportunity. Used to watching Ryan Gold, it doesn't happen. Oh, there you go. But so the one, the one thing I want to say, the one upside, as frustrating as that was, uh, it was it was a you know the long weekend and. Um, it was definitely felt like the smallest crowd in the stadium. Yeah, I heard it was um, just over twenty three hundred announced. I, I well, I heard differing things with that, but somewhere between just over. I heard yeah, just over two thousand announced to twenty three hundred ish announced. Um, regardless, uh, I've been to all the games except for the one when I was in California for the Pacific game, uh, and that was a, a, a I think a fuller match. So um, it felt like to me. It was the least attended game. It and looked that, like it was the least attended game. Yeah. And then on top of that, in this, I think in the second half or late in the first half or whatever it was, we had our first experience yeah. with the rain. So in, in general, that was a negative for most people um, uh, because the, the, the game wasn't going well for the home side. And then you had this rain and you had people either i don't know if they actually i don't know how many people actually left left the stadium but you had people going for cover so you had there's a a, a, a thing from the the park uh, the old park they have like a uh, a big covering like a shelter yeah uh-huh. or whatever so a ton of people went under there you had people who were on the east side they went, went into under the, the tents at yeah. the top um which, which was nice for them um i'm sure i'm sure maybe some people left or whatever but um it was actually a little bit fun to sing in the rain, if I'm honest with you. You know, I, it wasn't a torrential downpour. It wasn't, you know, 90 minutes straight. So that probably made it more bearable. Obviously, it's not something I want to do every game. We sang yeah. songs about needing a roof, uh, you know. And uh, did, did you sing Singing in the Rain? Obviously, you couldn't yes, sing Winning in the Rain. We did sing Singing in the Rain, yeah. Uh, it also it was a, the type of match, not just because of the rain, but because of the score and whatever the vibe and it was it's one of those matches where you could try out some new songs um so we had um Ad- um we had adrian and gail leading us in some new songs including a version of britney spears um oh I, the words were shoot it baby one more time 
Oh, I thought it was going to be when the goals went out. Oops, we've done it again. We've well, fallen think... behind. Oh, we're 3-0 down. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't quite that. Or thunder, lightning. Ruben's pass yes, he is frightening. <laughs> yeah, no, we didn't see that. But no, so like, I, again, like I had fun at the game, hanging out with great people. Last part. Um, yeah, so like I have no com- I have no complaints on that. Obviously, the result was uber uh, uber frustrating. And well, you uh, know why you lost? Yeah, why is that? No, Ivan Mejia. Yeah. <laughs> why is there no Ivan Mejia? Yeah, what the fuck is happening with Ivan Mejia? Like, genuinely, I am very pissed off at this because you've taken a lad. He could be going. He could be playing at Fraser Valley Cascades, getting his education continued, playing in in Canada West. There was other clubs that could have taken him. Why are you signing a guy and not even having him in the eighteen? If you don't feel he's good enough to be in the eighteen, why did you sign him? He's been in the eighteen. Is it twice? Once. Well, I thought it was twice. Once he came on. Once he didn't. Maybe I'm wrong. I might need to double check that. I thought he was only um, once. He's definitely only played those limited minutes. I, I I don't get it. And there's a lot of things I don't get. Like, I, I know that they're managing TJ Tahid's minutes. Yeah, for sure. But he's their big success story. And I know they don't want to pile too much pressure on him, but they kind of need him on the pitch. Yeah, like I know some of the things they're looking to do with him, and um, they definitely are not um, overusing him um, for sure. For sure, when it comes to Ivan, yeah, like I'm, I, I, I'm not at training. I don't, I don't know what's going on. No, in terms of he he was a hundred percent healthy. Oh yeah, I'm not saying he's injured. Yeah. I'm just saying. I know. I, I just wanted to stress that in case anyone listening wasn't sure if that, like, he's healthy. So yeah, maybe he's not performing at training. Maybe he is not deemed to be good enough, but then that's frustrating for me because he could be playing college soccer right now. Yeah, but Michael, like for a player... At, he could at be going to the right? Nationals with BB5 and he can't do right. that now either. But that's like a decision you have to make as a player, right? Like, yeah. so You're offered a pro deal and it's yeah. like you're not going to turn that down. That's been your dream. Yeah. And yeah. he isn't complaining about it just to... Because yeah, folk yeah. have talked to him and he's still upbeat and he's loving it and he's learning a lot, etc., etc. The way I'm looking at it is he's a guy... I mean, maybe he's going to see minutes now in the closing weeks of the season. Because there's certain guys on this team that we need to see playing to see if they need to be coming back next year. And he's one of them. Oh, yeah, I understand and if, you, if you're not seeing him in matches... Because there's some guys that you're going to be like, well, yeah, they're definitely going to be back next year. Or they're, or they're definitely not, not going to be coming gonna be back, back yeah. next year. I believe there's some trials with an eye to next year, maybe going to be taking place in October as well already for Vancouver FC with some local guys. So have we'll you, are you sponsor, is AFTN sponsoring any of those people? No, but if they do have open trials, I do want to put a player in next year. I yeah. will just chart their their journey, hopefully. Is it, it your, Steve? There isn't an overage limit. No. You're just allowed only a certain number of over 21s. Right. I could pass as 21. <laughs> Thanks. Oh Look, God. it's still mathematically possible that they could make the playoffs. Although if they lose to Atletico Ottawa this weekend, mathematically they could still do it, but goal difference would say otherwise. But yeah. 
if we look around the CPL, this continues to be so exciting. Not for Valor and Vancouver, but the top six, like Cavalry still out in top in 39, still got that four-point gap, Pacific and Forge in 35, then you've got Atletico, Ottawa in 32, York in 32, Halifax in 32. What a result for York United. I watched that mm-hmm. game and happy for Martin Nash, gutted for Patrice Geyser and the guys in Halifax. I really want Halifax to be a playoff team. Mm-hmm. It was all going so well for them. And then just that stoppage time equaliser that was given up to Ricci and then Roger Thompson gets the winner. But that was a very good game. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a, a lot weekend, of, there's been a lot of exciting games, yeah. This weekend's matches, just to bring these up just now, this is coming out on Friday, so the time a lot of folk listen to it, this one might be done and dusted. York Valor, so you have to fancy York to get the three points from that. And then you've got big game, Pacific and Halifax. Now, if Halifax can go and get something from that, they're right in it. If Pacific get the win from that and York have got the win, the pressure is really starting to mount there on Halifax. Because yeah. their next game's against Cavalry and then it's a big showdown with Atletico Ottawa after that. Yeah, it would be it would it would be unfortunate if Halifax don't make the postseason, I feel, because uh this like with Morelli coming back and with um Nimic. Is it Nimic? I was Yeah, Nimic. Yeah, like, some, some really great stories and some really great performances. That crowd that they had out for the Labor Day game. Labor Day game, and, yeah. Oh, that what an atmosphere, what a crowd. It's just fantastic what they're doing out there in Halifax. It is, it is. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, they've set the standard for the league, I think, in, in the ground. I, and I've got to be honest, I watched that because the, their stadium's obviously very similar in, in looks to Vancouver FC. And I couldn't help but watch that on Monday and think that's what we could have out in Langley. And how good would that be? How electric would that atmosphere be? Mm-hmm. And that's what we just have to work towards. And a lot of that, obviously, is a winning team. You're going to get folk out. But it's, I, I don't know even if it was a winning team this year that they would have got the crowds out that they hoped for. They well, obviously, obviously it, would been better. it would have been better for sure. I think the the one thing where it's maybe a little unfair to compare Halifax to maybe every CPL side. Yeah, I know what maybe, you're going to say. Except for maybe Pacific is, is uh, they're like the one real show in town. Yeah. Right. So I, I, again, I'm, I, I'm not trying to make excuses for Vancouver FC or no, for any but other, it's, but, it's, there's but, no getting away from that. I mean, the amount of sporting events alone, never mind other stuff. Yeah. In the lower mainland is big just now. But then to also for, you know, Derek Martins and, and Halifax's credit, they've captured that. They've embraced that. Yeah. They've, they've been quality, uh, on, on, not just on the field, but in how they do things and how they engage with their supporter community and stuff. And so, um, yeah, they, it's not just the fact, oh, it's not just like they're only team in town and people show up. It's they've done well as well. Yeah. They and it would be nice to see that rewarded with a, with a playoff spot. I mean, I've said to you before, like Vancouver FC, for whatever reasons, just they, they haven't, captured my imagination this season and as someone that loves football as someone that loves the lower levels of football and stuff as well 
if they haven't done that with me, trying to win over the casuals is obviously going to be hard as well. And I know there's the success stories of the under-21 minutes. Let's be brutally honest, the casual fan does not care about that. You've got some good local guys. Callum Irvin, obviously, we love Cali. We've known him for years. TJ is a great story. James Cameron is a good story as well. And they should be front and centre promoting that. Well, they have they have promoted They, they have, but this is going to sound harsh. I'm not invested in James Cameron because I don't know him. Yeah, yeah. And we had this discussion a few weeks back that that's been something the guys in Take the Piss said. They, they want to see the guys that they know that's come through the local youth clubs or come through the local amateur leagues then make that jump. And James Cameron is a great story. But to me, I'm like, okay, I don't know who he is. You even pluck a guy out from like Metroford or one of the under-21 leagues or just any of the young guys that I've seen in VMSL or Fraser Valley or League One, and it's like, that's a more interesting story to me personally. And they just need to do so much work in this off-season now as to how they want to build the squad for next year, what areas they want to tap into, and how they build some buzz. And, I mean, I, I don't think I've spoken about this publicly on the show before, but I, I had a meeting with Vancouver FC. We discussed a load of ideas. Cricket since. And that's something they need to work on just to get... Just capture the the, the local, loving, local, lower-level league fan base a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Um, like I said, when you're talking about, you know, people wanting to be able to identify like someone they've seen come through the system. Like, yeah, you're not always going to be able to do that. And, no. and and I don't know any, I don't mind speaking about this factually or about any, anyone in, in specifically, but like, obviously there, what, there was no one who either came to the open trials or who they identified that, that fit that outside of the people that they actually brought in. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, obviously, are, is that the right decision? It's easy to say now. Yeah, they haven't had a witty season, so you know they could have done that differently. Yeah. I, I will say oh, this: but will, open I, like open trials are not a good way to gauge that. Like right, they right, right. should have been looking at college soccer, like Victory well, Shambusho. Well, they, they were. Yeah, but like that should be a bigger gauge. Like Victory Shambusho should have had a contract, and I. I don't know 100%. This is just how it was relayed to me from someone outside of Vancouver FC that he was told, we like you, but we need to see that you can stay healthy. But take the risk on him. Okay, you sign him, he doesn't stay healthy. It would have, it would have worked out better than some of the guys that they've had and then let go. Yeah. And as it turned out, he has stayed healthy. In that's easy, that's easy to say in, in hindsight, right? But yeah. Uh, like he, he was he was a guy that I was a hundred percent sure would have yeah, had a deal. And he deserved it in his five years at college. Now, I so don't maybe, know if he turned up to any of the trials or not, but he could have turned up to that trial and not done very well. But you've got yeah. five years of college to base on what he's done. Yeah. So maybe now now maybe that's one of the players they bring in next year. The yeah. one thing I will say about the squad building for next year. And I can't remember how much and which ways we've talked about this on the show. I know you and I have talked about it at yeah. great length. 
it will be a significantly different approach with um different people playing different roles which yes i think that'll be key yeah there's definitely been some movement but we'll discuss this a, a bit more in our end of season roundup for them i'm sure last thing just to talk about cpl wise there was i think big news that that came out this week not mm -hmm. good big news although you can look at for silver linings but it was announced the the cpl for now at least is not coming to Saskatchewan. In a joint news release issued on Tuesday, Prairie Land Park Corporation and Living Sky Sports announced that they will adjourn the quest to bring a pro team to the city. The initial plans were to build a $28 million stadium um, at Prairie Land Park and financial constraints and other issues seem to have made it not feasible, at least for now. There's, there's been a lot of, and we won't get into this too much, but there's, there's been a lot of things that's plagued this from the start. Uh, Joseph Beelan, Joe Beelan, sued, was it Al Simpson? Alan Simpson? Uh, Al I forget Al's last name. It was yeah. Al. Yeah. Al Simpson, not one of the clubs from the Saudi Pro League, in case anyone is wondering, <laughs> but one of the guys that was behind this with Prairie Land Park. So Joe Beelan was also involved, and he was a guy that was behind the successful Saskatoon Summer Series in 2019. So he had sued for being cut out of the process earlier this year. So you don't know how much any of that played uh, a part in it. Joe Beelan of Novatrek had obtained exclusive rights to develop a soccer stadium at the grandstand in Prairie Land Park earlier with the goal of bringing pro soccer to the city. Now, a quote that came out said, Our plan to expand into Saskatoon was always contingent upon having the appropriate facility and ownership group to showcase the CPL to the community in a professional manner. That was a CPL spokesperson told CTV uh, News in Saskatchewan that. The league is apparently still interested in expanding in the province when the circumstances are right. And there are apparently groups that are still interested. So how serious a blow do you feel this is to the league, Zach? Because I, I feel they have to get a team in the prairies in, in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Uh... I mean, any kind of news that's negative is, is in one sense, not helpful. Um, but I would say that I think that this is not the the, the end of the CPL dis discussion and 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 plans for the, the province of, of Saskatchewan. Obviously, uh, long term, the goal for a nationwide, you know, let's say 16 to 18 team league in Canada uh, for both men's and women's football would ideally include clubs both in Saskatoon and Regina. Mm -hmm. So we know that that long-term would, would be the desire. Um, having lived in Saskatchewan to go to school, yeah, there is a, a great kind of rivalry even in the, the local footballing community between Saskatoon and, and, and Regina. Um, and so, yeah, a couple a couple of things about this. Obviously, this uh, the lawsuit, I think, plays a significant role in Al and is it Living Sky Sports, if I'm getting that yep. correct? It, it, it that plays a role in their inability to live out their um, desire to to bring a CPL club to Saskatoon, something that they had in working with the leagues required the the rights to to do. Mm 
Mm -hmm. right obviously joe Bilan is saying you know i had the rights to make the stadium happen in this place uh i don't think that means and it's been very contentious the stadium project as well because they were obviously then shutting out horse racing altogether right well yeah well i think that would that is or was going to happen anyways by the the owners of the the place i it's like i think horse racing is very cruel so i was fully behind getting rid of that but anyway that's a whole other thing yeah. So, um, but I, yeah, I don't think this closes the uh, the door for CPL in Saskatoon and in the province of Saskatchewan in in, in any regard. Uh, I think this is the end of the line for Al and Living Side Sports and, and their attempt to do that. Um, but I think there will be uh, in the long term. I don't know how quickly uh, this will happen, but that CPL will end up in in Saskatchewan um, down down the road. I I would be. Well, what language should I use to describe this? I would be extremely surprised to see Joe Bielan be involved in any CPL venture within the province of Saskatchewan or any of the the ten provinces or te- or the or the territories in, in Canada. Uh, I don't think that uh, there's an appetite to 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 work with him despite uh, his efforts to to kind of be a part of something or to make something happen. Um, Which I would find disappointing because he's put so much effort into it and the Saskatoon Soccer Series, he tried to get things going. and Yeah, but Michael, that's like... He, he, you're, you're right, he's been a part of some positive things. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think from talking to multiple people in multiple facets of understanding of what's been going on in Saskatchewan... I also think Michael essentially he's burned all bridges with the CPL in terms of the like suing the the effort to to bring a it, club there, d- right? Yeah, I think that does muddy the waters for for sure. It's disappointing because you want to see a team in Saskatchewan, you want to see a team in yeah. Quebec. It's gone all it's all gone very quiet about Quebec as well. Yeah, all, all the buzz recently has just been about. League One, which is expanding and and doing all this stuff and getting into the areas, and you you, you hear rumours and it's like Valor maybe up for sale. They're looking for a buyer there. York United they might be looking for for a buyer there as well. And you think about sustainability of the league, of the existing teams. But then you're also wanting growth as well, and there's everything that surrounds the CSB deal, the unions pushing for collective bargaining, everything like that as well. It feels, and it might not be, but it feels the next year to 18 months could be make or break for this league. It it feels maybe more perilous than it maybe is, looking from from outside in uh you and i've talked about this a lot michael and i think the the problem with canadian football is the same as it is when you and i kind of became more engaged with it in the early to the early and late part of the first decade of the 2000s of this millennia millennium um uh, and that is that everyone's looking out for their own interests right yeah and what the from game the, from the very very top the right very, down very the youth bottom. level exactly so what the game needs is strong leadership that is looking out for the game as a whole. Uh, I think there have been things the CSA has done, and obviously they've done a lot wrong, but they have done things to try and live out that mandate. And even the things that they have done uh, 
that I think have done that well have are criticized and, and not appreciated because uh, whether it's the time or the way revenue or resources are allocated uh, is not how people think it should be or ruins their plans. But ultimately, I think the sad thing is we are at a place, like you said, in the next year or two to three between now and the World Cup coming or just after the World Cup of like the game, like eating itself, right? Like, yeah. like and with the great divide that exists um, between like, for example, uh, the men's and the women's game in the country, the national, the men's and women's national team, uh, our current men's professional league and uh the proposed uh project eight women's league they are they are there is no desire to work together for the good of the game holistically and um we could talk long about what all the branches there have been or not been yeah. or i think just the cpl and the project eight uh, yeah there yeah i think how that's all being handled and some of the motives behind all that stuff literally could destroy the professional club game in our country as a whole before it even gets off of, off the ground in this era which is would be extremely unfortunate because yeah football as a sport can be a great thing for society and change and life and fitness and health and all these things um but ultimately at the professional level, you're looking at it as a business and what your return on investment can be in the, in the long run. And, uh, again, as opposed to working together for the good of the game, there's, uh, there's people who, um, there's elements of working for the good of the game as one defines what that is, or for their segment of the game, uh, without thinking about the realities of the investments being made and what needs to be made to help mm -hmm. everything grow. And, these are conversations we've had in part before we're going to continue to have i'm a little bit concerned about how that all might 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 play out uh, I, I am too i've got to say and you've got good news stories like the growth of league one but mm -hmm. you need that level above to be have stability and i'm not saying it won't have stability but we've already lost one club and saskatchewan Quebec, two markets. York United. I mean, York. Well, we lost the York Nine, sadly. <laughs> and Yorkie was that? Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> Hope you're having fun up there, big man. But no, like in all seriousness, like if York, like that, there's been lots of murmurs that things aren't great at York, and if heaven forbid, something happened that we lose a second club, I just worry that there's a domino effect. Yeah. And if you haven't then got the other, I don't like using the word market, but it's the best, if you haven't got community. the other markets community. able to, community, yeah. yeah. If you haven't got the other communities in the right place to come in, because there, there's a lot of local communities, League One Ontario, there's probably a lot of those local communities that could support a team above League One, a CPL team. Maybe not CPL Div 1, but CPL Div 2. Mm -hmm. And it's how do you get there? And how do you not turn folk off? Because even in League One Ontario, there's been a lot of infighting this year from stuff I've been reading on Discord channels. And not everything's rosy here in League One BC either. <laughs> no. And that, I mean, 
we said this in earlier discussions of a friend of the show, silent, silent contributor to the show, Jeff Tinker used to always say to me, he's like, they need to build this like league structure in this country from the ground up. Mm -hmm. They need to do it from the grassroots and build like a, a smaller thing and build it up as opposed to saying we're building this top and then going to bring it, you know, bring it down to, to attach to the community community levels. And so uh, I, I, although I've never disagreed with Jeff in that, obviously the financial realities to make that happen, uh, it takes a lot longer and maybe more initial layout over a longer period of time, I guess, perhaps. Uh, and so it, that, that was never, I think an option for, for what the, you know, responding to the Eastman report or whatever. But uh, in one sense, I, I agree with his sentiment that it would have been nicer to maybe be able to have done things, um that way and i mean you look at some of the league one uh sides across the country and that would have been great for their followings to be able to progress in that way to grow a grow a club in that way um that would have been fun um but um yeah it, we have a number of we have a number of significant challenges that require strong leadership require tough decisions to be made that um and require some educating, I think, for people to understand what it means to grow the game as a whole. Uh, yeah. That won't, that won't be accomplished in sound bites or a clickbait, uh, you know, headings on articles and all the, and, and sensational, in some sense, self-serving uh, journalistic endeavors. Uh, like, like there's going to there needs to be um, there's a lot of things that need to happen to help this progress forward. Absolutely, and it's not even just on pitch matters it's like we've talked no. about like coaching and refereeing right, and yes growing things like futsal and i know that's not important to some folk but it is to other folk and it's yeah. like it deserves a place and funding yeah and cerebral palsy teams i talked about the american deaf yeah team that's going to the world cup and stuff it's like all these things deserve funding and it's like there's only a limited amount of funds we'll, we'll get into this i'm sure a lot more for many years to come that's pretty much it for the chat we'll wrap things up now not before bringing you though this episode's wavelength we're going back to 2010 from a, an album called fast forward the world cup goes indie and this is an italian band albeit with a french name they're called le man avec les lunettes which means the man with the glasses and this is their song from that album called Don't Get Fooled by the Football Player's Summary Outfit.
Monavecular Lunettes there with Don't Get Fooled by the Football Players Summary Outfit because summer is officially coming to an end. The weather might say otherwise. That was our wavelength song for this episode. Just before we go, Zach, it's a bit of a longer one than I thought it was going to be, but I've enjoyed our chat as always. I hope the listeners have as well. Any final thoughts from you? Anything that caught your eye this week? Uh, Saturday, there's another game in Langley. If you haven't been, uh, come and check it out. I think the weather's supposed to be a little bit better. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier, but it's against Electico, uh Ottawa. Uh, seven o'clock seven kickoff. O'clock. Seven yep. o'clock kickoff, yes. Yeah, so... I will be doing UBC Trinity Western up at Thunderbird. There you go. Um, it, it'd be interesting because I don't think the actually, and I don't say this to be just mean spirited or critical. The lights at uh, in Langley, I don't think, are really made for evening football. Oh, no. yeah. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. This is only our like third or second, third, fourth late later game, and it always feels so dark out on the pitch. Some of Tom's photos and the night yeah. games, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it, that, that's. I mean, when you talk about roof, that's one of the things I think needs to be added when there's when they they do. Uh, further work at the at the, at the at the ground, um, but come in and hang out. Check that out. Other thing I just want to I want to mention, and Michael, I know we talked about this briefly. I, this is uh, I got a message from a guy named J- I'll call him Jamie S. Uh, I don't think I've ever met Jamie before, but he just passed along a message about um, about the uh, 2008 boys Metro Ford BCSPL team, who are are the provincial champions. They won the provincials in June, and they're heading off. Um, to Toronto for nationals and they're doing some fundraising because it's going to cost them well it's going to be like hosting host it's going to be like hosting a an, an opening round of the Voyager's Cup yeah it's going to cost them like 35 to 40 thousand uh, dollars for all their travel hotel transportation food and all those kinds of things so uh, I don't have the website right now uh, maybe we can link it or on on Twitter or whatever but um, they're just they have a GoFundMe if you want to support them uh, to help get the the, this young team off to provincials in Ontario uh, later this year, they would uh, greatly appreciate the help. Nationals, not provincials. Sorry, nationals. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, Sorry. Actually, just like talking about that, because I've done commentary at some of the, the nationals and stuff as well. And this amazed me when I found this out. So I, I did the under 17 nationals in Surrey last year. So big showcase tournament, which obviously this team is going to as well. And I couldn't believe how much fundraising all these teams had to do to get their teams to go to nationals. This is a Canada soccer tournament and they do not give them, I don't want to say don't give them anything, I think they might give them a little bit, but it's like they have to pay for their own flights and everything. Now, if it's a national tournament, surely that's something that Canada soccer should be paying for, but that goes back to what we were just talking about. There needs to be money for all levels of the game. Like, an under-17 team shouldn't have to be trying to raise all this money so that the team that's earned a place at the Nationals has to go and play there. And you, you, we've had teams that came out here last year from PEI and Nova Scotia, and they had to fundraise, and they had to raise a lot of money and stuff as well, and some of them struggled to raise the money that, that they were needing as well. But, anyway... um. I just want to say UBC's at home on, the men are at home on Friday and Saturday up at Thunderbird Stadium and the local soccer season gets underway, the amateur leagues get underway, VISL, Fraser Valley League, VMSL have their opening weekend on Sunday, all six premier matches taking place up at Empire Fields, 
Check vmlssoccer.com for all the schedules for that. Should be some fantastic games in that, and we'll have coverage of all the local leagues all season long on AFTN as well. I just want to, to pay some respects for some people that's passed away recently as well. The lead singer of Smash Mouth passed oh. away this week. Really? He's just 56. I mean, All Star is such a quality song yeah. and Walking on the Sun. Walking on the Yes. Yeah. R.I.P. Steve Harwell. I don't think I ever saw Smash Mouth live. I can't remember them being at any festivals or anything that was out over the years. Maybe I did. When Julian Gressel left, I'd played a song that I said was oh such a fitting song and it was the theme tune to one of my favourite TV shows of all time, Alvida Zane Pet, mm. sung by Joe Fagan. So Joe Fagan passed away this week as well. Wow. And I meant to mention this on last week's show. One of my favourite wrestlers of all time, Bray Wyatt, sadly passed away age 36 of a heart attack. I'd fallen out of watching wrestling for years and I just was bored one night and watched a Royal Rumble and saw like Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family and it rekindled my love of wrestling again. He was an absolute genius and still can't believe he's passed away so young. Just heartbreaking stuff. So creative, so innovative and lots of happy memories left behind. So just wanted to say RIP to all those people that sadly passed away this week and the week before. Mm -hmm. That is it for the show. We will be back with another one soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care and mourn their caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.